Hello, hello, everyone. It's uh, three minutes past 
the start time and we're waiting for a few more folks um and i just don't want to interrupt the music because on x once the music stops i don't think it goes again let me try if it goes no i don't think it goes again um welcome to yet another one of these uh we're gonna try and summarize and then also interview several folks um who have invited to give us some opinions about this whole LK99 thing. Um, and I'm personally not a scientist. I found myself in this kind of haphazardly, partly due to some folks here um, that already joined the space. And I just started collecting folks in the Twitter list. Um, folks who were talking about this before, you know, this blew up. Before before it's now the number one, I want to believe, I want to think, uh, trending topic for a while. Oh, it's not number one anymore. Okay. Um, before it was a very big trending topic before it was on old betting markets. I just really wanted to see if this is, yeah, this is interesting. And having not a lot of ideas of what superconductors even are, I learned <laughs> to ramp up really quick. Um, and so we did one space, I want to say... Time, time, time is difficult right now. So, so I want to say Sunday, maybe Sunday. Um, and many people came. And just kind of before we actually get started, just to give you like a brief, uh, why am I here? <laughs> why are you listening to, to, to me while, while, while folks join? Is um, we started another space, many folks joined. Um, and we organized kind of a green room, like a DM chat to start talking about with the folks on stage. And kind of started adding their folks. And now there is at least two people with active replication attempts. Um, I think three material scientists. Um, it's like a very high signal room right now, which um, if you are a scientist and you're working on this and you think you can contribute, please DM me. Um, if you're a lurker who wants to just sit there and watch, please don't DM me. I have many of those DMs. And I'm not sure what to do with them. Um, but you know, you're welcome to the space. And the world kind of watches and waits until there's full replication attempts. So I think I'll just get started with just explaining. Uh, and I see some folks in the audience uh, I will invite here to co-host. Um, and if I don't know you, I don't think that I will let you up. Not in this space, uh, maybe in other spaces. Maybe we'll have a space with like questions and just general requests. All right, so I want to say hi to my co-host for this evening. <laughs> he came in first out of the, of the group. So, hey, Aitapai, how are you? Hey, Alex, it's good to be here. Um, so uh, Aitapai is one of the first folks, I think, that I saw um, writing things. And um, I definitely followed your stuff with interest. And how has your few last <laughs> few last days been trying to follow all this uh, craziness? Um, it's it's been interesting. I mean, I, as 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 you know, I I won't say I would I will I will say I have like minimal, very minimal scientific uh, background. Um, and I I was just kind of like doing creative writing, honestly speaking. 
uh, and testing testing out various theories on like social graph and like you know what would actually work on the social graph and it took off and somehow like i have enough of little bit enough of a scientific background to follow what's going on and so i kept writing and that's what the graph selected for and uh, i found myself uh, sleepless for like 7 days and finally got some sleep uh, a couple of days ago yeah i i had i think one or two nights that i i tried and just couldn't just wasn't able to uh there's in addition to watching kind of humanity potentially change its course right like we're going to talk about what a superconductor means and we're going to add some more color to this and hopefully you know this is going to be both scientific and entertaining and also verified because uh there's a lot of folks doing a lot of work to not believe kind of different videos that come out um but not only ingesting so much information at once, but also processing all of this, but also trying to, to cram up <laughs> all, all of the interesting scientific stuff around this for, for some folks who are not scientists. And I will say, uh, based on kind of my interactions with many folks, there, there's so much here that, you know, there's chemistry involved, there's physics involved, um, there's material sciences uh, that kind of combine some of them. And I've seen many scientists from different fields also kind of try to collaborate because even they don't uh, hold all of this information. And so holding all this information at once, processing this, trying to follow multiple countries, uh, I want to say at this point, multiple countries uh, replicate, um, was definitely very interesting. I think we'll start with just the basics, and I think we'll repeat the basics, but definitely, folks, uh, keep, keep in mind that we will give you updates here. Um, this is kind of a recap space in addition to um, some some funny things, and as as we give you updates, we'll also bring some subject matter experts that can explain, uh, hopefully simply or simpler than than a very in depth scientist on this. Hopefully, we'll we'll be able to explain some of the science uh, behind this. Um, just want to say hi to Eli. Hey Eli, you've been with us for a while. How are you doing? Hey Alex, pretty good. How about y'all? Good, good. Uh, just uh, trying to prevent disinformation and create great spaces for folks to kind of learn and keep update and um, also get get excited get a little bit excited I post about this I am excited and I think that's okay um, I get excited very fast for, for, for a bunch of reasons but this seems like after a long time processing and after a lot of there's no replication like a full room temperature, ambient pressure superconductor replication yet we haven't seen yet one however we've seen quite a lot of evidence moving towards the positive and i personally haven't seen a lot of kind of negative and uh maybe like maybe we'll start there um last space we've talked about um this has a lot of room to be proven positive and it's really hard as well because material scientist um material scientist is hard i think the the Korean team from Q Center, uh, Q Center uh, Quantum Center for for research, they said they've tried something like eight thousand different samples throughout the ten years. So it's really really hard uh, to to generate. And uh, someone mentioned that it's not going to be very easy to disprove just outright. There's not going to be a very easy definite no here. However, there's a lot of ways to to, to get to a yes. Um, and can you can you talk to us a little bit about um, if replication success or replication failure is a 
defining criteria or uh, are there other ways to, to find well so, if, if, so, if we have this yeah go so, ahead Sorry. so I mean I mean success is when when you know somebody else uh, uh, produces you know similar kinds of results in terms of measurements you know more more than just levitation measurements of uh, actual uh, resistance that that uh, uh, does not correspond to the parent compounds and does not, uh, you know, exceeds uh, uh, copper and displays other hallmarks of superconductors. And uh, honestly, you know, I, I've kind of been speculating that this might not exactly be a, a classical type one or type two uh, superconductor. There, there very well could be nuances which may or may not. Uh, uh, limit its a applicability in terms of all of the things that we want to do with superconductors. But the thing is, like, e even with some of the better uh, established superconductors like uh, uh, IBCO, YBCO, um, you know, it, it, it took a while to improve that from even from the point that they they demonstrated, yes, indeed, this is a real uh, superconductor. I think we're seeing this unfold faster and in real time all over the world in social media. We didn't see that in the 1980s. Um, it would have been a smaller uh, group of people who had been so so keenest, keenly focused and riveted and motivated to drop everything and do their own things. But even then, you know, there were people who were doing that just like, you know, also, I remember it well at the time, uh, uh, Cold Fusion uh, and, and people were on news, Usenet, people were trying to replicate that as well. Um, but so so going back to uh, uh, what constitutes uh, uh, um, non-replication, that actually to, to be able to, to say, you know, we've really done everything exactly the way Lee and Kim and Kwan did. And we've come up with, with the closest thing that, that appears to be reproducibly produced. And we've done these thorough measurements. And uh, no, you know, it lacks this and this. And therefore, uh, uh, it's, it's not the real deal. Um, that's going to take a lot more work because it's like trying to prove a negative. It, you know, after a while, you just say, well, look, a, 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 all of these extensive efforts to replicate just haven't panned out. So there probably isn't anything here, uh, you know, short of, of really, really thorough, thorough analyses. Um, and so basically, uh, to, to sum up, we have a, a way to get to a definite yes. And last time we, we chatted, um, there's actually two ways to get to definite yes. One of them is replication based on the paper and some other papers that since then have come out. And the other is um, the folks from Q Center. Uh, Q Center is, is the lab that uh, released LK99, um, just providing samples for other research labs. And those research labs use their equipment to, uh, to basically prove superconductivity. And I guess I want to say, and uh, folks, feel free to pick this up, uh, Eli and Atapai, and um, let's define a superconductor in like the most popular science terms. Uh, yeah, Eli, you mentioned there was like type one and type two, so I'll I'll start, but please feel free to to pick this up. We uh, we as humanity, as science, <laughs> uh, uh, we know the superconductors exist in nature. I think it was found first um, in the sixties. I want to say maybe earlier, um, where a material that is cooled to a very low temperature for for um, degrees above 
I think absolute zero, suddenly stops resisting current. What this means is if you run current through some material, um, it, it, it loses some of it to heat. I'm trying the, the basic most I can. Eli, feel free to so, so think, the wrong think, of it, think of it as, uh, yeah, um, you know, you, you, you can think of wires as, you know, regular ordinary metal wires. They're conductors, uh, which means e electrons will, will flow through them when you apply uh, an electrical potential. But just the same way that, you know, you have a car with wheels and and you know it has ball bearings and and they're lubricated and all of that you you can you can reduce the friction involved but it isn't zero right so electrons going through the conduction band of a metal you know they they bounce into other electrons they bounce in to uh, uh defects in the structure of the metal uh, in, in various situations, there, there are other like dissipative interactions where the energy um, from the momenta or the kinetic energy of the electron traveling down the wire um, winds up, you know, being turned into heat through those collisions, right? So in a superconductor, you don't get that. It's, it's like the, 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 the orbitals that make up the conduction band just line up so perfectly that it's it's a straight shot um, in different terms. And I, I know that some theoretical physicists are, are going to like groan when I say this, but um, think of ballistic conduction, kind of like just a bullet going through through not even air, but through vacuum. There's just nothing, nothing restraining it. It, you know, when it stays in the right band of a superconductor. And, and, and awesome. along with that, um, there's the opportunity, therefore, because be, whenever you have a charge in motion, that creates a magnetic field. And one of the really important things about this is if it, if it turns out, you know, to behave like a classical type two uh, superconductor, or maybe even not, um, that you can use this to efficiently create much more powerful fields, uh, magnetic fields, uh, you know, without losing energy in the process, right? That's, that would be really a game changer for, for uh, at least some types of nuclear fusion. Uh, that, you know, yeah, we're, we're going to get to okay. use because I, I just want to uh, highlight the different types sure. and the fact that superconductors exist. We know that superconductors exist today. It's not like a new physics thing. Type 1 was invented back, back then and it was like very, ago, very low okay. temperature, I think, pressure. Yeah, long ago. And uh, I think 86, is that also the, the right time? 86, 1986, IBM released, um, or I, I wouldn't say found, right? In, in this area, this is like a very vast... Uh, field of research and very less like um, space of opportunity to find and in 86 IBM researchers I think found another type of superconductor uh, with different properties um, which I'm not going to speak to there will be folks here on stage that, that could speak to that. Well, just, just uh, the, the which... really short description is that they're quote high temperature which compared to to the the ordinary uh, superconductors at the time which required you know around liquid helium temperatures right four degrees kelvin really really cold uh only slightly warmer than space space is two kelvin um so the quote high temperature ones meant that you could cool them with liquid nitrogen which is just you know you're you're much you're you're much happier to have to use liquid nitrogen than liquid helium 
Absolutely. And um, we now have type 1 and type 2, and they're being used in multiple applications. And now comes this fairly obscure team and posts a, a paper on ArcSide, which uh, I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, ArcSide, uh, which I'm familiar with <laughs> from AI papers. And suddenly I saw this paper and I saw people talk about this. Um, and they're announcing a room temperature and ambient pressure superconductor, which for the longest time was considered the holy grail of a lot of things. And we're going to get to reasons why. But uh, basically, the first paper is released by uh, a, guy, a guy named Kwan, and it names three authors. Uh, Eita Pai, can you take us a little bit through kind of the, the, the paper release cycle and, uh, and then the follow-up paper and kind of tell the first story of this? Right. So I guess um, uh, Kwan, uh, you know, puts in um, his uh, paper um, roughly 5 p.m. Uh, I think Seoul time. I, I, I forget. You can see my timeline. I have the canonical canonical record on my timeline. But uh, yeah, so roughly 5 p.m. he puts it in in Seoul. Um, and I'm guessing at this point that, um, you know, uh, uh, Tak Kim on the other side of the world in Virginia. Um, and I also don't know that he was in Virginia. I'm guessing again. But I'm guessing he gets an early, early morning call um, that the paper, a paper has gone up from some other members of the team. And uh, he's like, okay, uh, I, should, I should get something in because, um, you know, uh, Kwan has put a stake in the ground. So uh, he rushes out a paper uh, which goes in. And later on, um, our uh, Korean uh, internet sleuths uh, find that uh, it was using uh, the Korean version of Microsoft Word, and it even had like, you know, uh, like uh, graph not found uh, in Korean on some parts of it. So, so it's missing graphs, it's missing data, um, and it's a paper that's uploaded two hours and something after yeah, about two and the and first half paper. Yeah, which in scientific terms, preparing a paper that wasn't due to get released in two hours, that's insanity. That's, you know, it's a molasses and, field. And suddenly, and, like two hours later, there's a new paper on the yeah, same topic. And, 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 just, and just one last thing. Um, you know, the, the other interesting thing is that, you know, ArcSIF papers are submitted in the name of the author submitting. So you can actually see the name of the author. author sub of course, you know, you could have a secretary or a graduate student submit on, on your behalf, but someone is using your ID, right? So you can actually see the name of the submitter. Um, and so, and you can see the time, the UTC time. So you get, you get kind of a lot of information from that. You get the paper, you get the submission time and you get the ID, the, the user ID, um, you know, of the, of the person submitting and that, you know, in that timeline, uh, establishes that, you know, something, right. Uh, and, and that's where I kind of, I kind of left it. I actually, I actually didn't, I actually didn't do anything non-factual on that, on that, on that first post, which caused, which started this kind of like dramatic furor. Uh, a lot of it was implied. Uh, I, I, I do admit I did, I did a lot of illusion uh, and, and, and sleight of hand, but it was implied by the reader. And it was implied by the internet, too. A lot of stuff actually came in from the internet, was implied in my reading of the internet, and was kind of like, you know, summarized in there. So after these two papers get released, um, and we will cover some stuff that we found out way later, uh, using, like, like I said, <laughs> some, some Korean friends and sleuths on the ground, uh, which I, I don't know if they can join However, there is a, a member of the quote-unquote green room, um, Sung Young, who really got excited by this, and then we kind of connected, and he was in the previous um, 
uh, space as well. And I recommend you guys to go and check it out. So, so just I just want to interrupt one moment and uh, say that uh, Sung Hyung basically started to have a conversation uh, within my thread on the on the paper release. And I was uh, scrolling and reading every single comment on every single, uh, you know, thread. And that and that thread has like thousands of comments at this point, and liking everyone. And I found it, and he was like, you know, very low follower number. And I found it, and I kind of like looked through, and I thought it was credible. And basically, the next the next post that went out was basically the the TS chair or TS Choi, uh, however it's transliterated story. Uh, which I did a little bit of background checking on that, you know, that, you know, and, and talked to Song Young. So that actually came as a result of the first post that went out and the, 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 the kind of PR around that first post created so, him coming into the field. So I want to focus on, on the kind of the, the papers and, and LK99 story. And if you guys are interested in kind of the full breakdown as we kind of start to develop, uh, I just pinned a tweet from Sang uh, Hyun Seo our friend and partner in this, the guy on the ground, the guy who understands the language, and the guy who um, helped us understand that there was a third paper uh, published already before these two papers, I believe, uh, and it was a paper in Korean. I also think that this paper was uh, submitted for peer review, I want to believe, and apparently there was a, a patent as well. And this creates a huge there, there were it turns the... out there were three patent applications and apparently i'm not sure when they published but uh um you know they seem to have gone unnoticed which is not surprising because like you know anybody can file any patent and say room some temperature superconductor that doesn't make it mm -hmm. real in fact i want to just shout out that we do have some folks on twitter trying to say hey we have a patent do we have this with no evidence as well, so I wouldn't go and chase that. Uh, I will not name any names. However, also ArcSight, correct, Eli? Anybody can upload a paper. Um, you need to be cited, definitely, yeah. but like, there's nothing preventing anyone from uploading a paper. And uh, I think the most relevant thing here, and I will later mention why this is relevant, the first paper, the, the kind of the abrupt, surprising English paper, we call the, the three-author paper. And the reason why we call this three-author paper because some folks speculated that uh, a Nobel Prize can be only awarded for uh, to, to three authors, which uh, was one of the earliest things that this infighting could be because this is so big that this will get a Nobel Prize. And I think at this point we're saying <laughs> if they found out uh, that we have a way to synthesize a room temperature uh, superconductor, then it is a Nobel Prize worthy discovery. Uh, the first paper is published with three authors, and Kwan, the guy who submitted this, is one of the three. The other two is Sukbei Li and Jihoon Kim. Uh, and so their last names, uh, Kim and Li, uh, is the, the part of the name LK. And 99 is when they started to work on this, uh, and this kind of brings into the fold Atapai and um, their professor Choi, or, or Chair, it depends on the translation, who essentially... Based on this theory, these guys worked for a while and they didn't work. I don't want to go into the whole detail because we have updates as well. But generally, this is kind of the sleuthing that gets us to this. And the reason the sleuthing happens is partly because, like we said, anybody can upload a paper. It's there's no you know nothing prevents anybody can submit a patent. However, um, the scientific world rejected this almost outright, uh, at least some parts of it, namely because of the mess. The first paper was released by Yang Kwan uh, and the other two LK folk. 
And Quan, at this point, we later discovered, no longer is affiliated with Q Center, right? So uh, we're imagining a person who was working for Q Center for a while. I don't think we've confirmed when he started, but he's no longer affiliated with the center. And he releases this paper. Essentially, uh, you know, you can only speculate why, but you definitely can definitely know that he doesn't have access to um, to all of the latest research and doesn't have access to all of the latest graph and insights. And uh, Atapai can speculate why. And I'll just say uh, Atapai does great work in in covering the chronologically uh, of all of this uh, with some embellishment of details because uh, it also needs to be interesting. Uh, Atapai, do you have a speculation of why Quan releases this? Um, so. I, I just want to say again, like I'm starting to back away from embellishment of the of of the early part because uh, honestly speaking, uh, you know it was a super low. You know, I had a 2,000 follower account, and you know the average post would be heard by like maybe 100 people, and now this is like a 20,000 follower account, and there's like you know a million people, like a million views on every every post. So I'm kind of backing away from some of the embellishments. Um, so I, I and you know I think I think it's fair to say that there was a falling out between the two parties. I would actually uh, question whether he was actually fired fully um, because the only evidence that I know of is a newspaper um, briefing given by Lee uh, to Yonhap. Now, because the two parties are fighting, you don't really know what happened between the two parties. Um, and this is a historical moment. There could have been so many other permutations of things that happened. Uh, you don't know whether he was properly fired, whether he was given, given severance, whether he signed a contract, whether he was still the principal investigator on the study and he couldn't be fired anyway. Like, you don't know so many things. Uh, so I would, and, and, you know, these things are so messy. Like, I've been, you know, when you, when you let go an employee, like when you try to fire someone, it's not that easy. You know, it, it doesn't just like, oh, dude, you know, bye-bye. It, does, it doesn't work that way. And then not, especially not with a world historic discovery at, you know, there. So I am like super, super doubtful and, and having some legal experience. I'm super, super doubtful that all the, the contracts are properly signed, that he was properly let go, that he has no claim on the discovery, that he has no claim on Q Center. So I would say that, you know, to be, to be fair, something happened, we know, and that, you know, Lee gave that press conference. Quan uh, showed up, you know, on his own to the uh, MMC. That, that, those things we know for sure. Everything else, we don't know. Yeah, um, we also know who is not on the second paper, uh, and and Quan is not appearing as authors on the second paper. He's barely, I think, referenced as a thank you in acknowledgement. And the second paper is released by this guy Hyuntak Kim, uh, and it's very important to talk about Hyuntak Kim a little bit as well because not only he's the guy who actually releases the paper, he's also uh, a very well-cited uh, scientist. He has an age score, I believe, of 40-something. 40, 40 uh, age score is basically how many papers... Uh... So I will, I will interrupt there again one more time because I see Robert Palgrave in the audience and he has been pushing back on the age score. And I will point out that once Lee and Kim actually receive the Nobel Prize, they will have an age score of zero. So let's let's push back against this idea that the age score means the guy's a reputable scientist. I saw that refute, and uh, <laughs> thanks for interrupting. Let me continue, please. Uh, age score does not imply that they're like great scientists. It does imply that there's a reputation attached to this, right? So both Lee and Kim, you're correct. There's like a very very low age score. However, uh, he's a reputable scientist with connections to other like big institutes. I don't remember exactly. Mern, I think, um, and he. 
he is coming into this team and he's releasing the second paper and he's not naming the first kind of uh, rogue author. And this this points to kind of infighting as well, potentially points to whether or not somebody somebody wants to release this. And uh, the importance of H-Core, as I highlighted, is not because like he's that genius. It's just the fact that there is a reputation attached and this is a huge claim. This is a huge claim. We're going to talk about applications of why. We're going to talk about, um, you know, all the all the ways that this could change humanity. But this is a huge claim that if um, if you release and then nothing of this is proved, or if you actually release, you know, we've seen some evidence before that um, some folks release superconductor into room temperature and it was like fabricated. The data was fabricated. Um, Ranga, Ranga Dice, uh, if, if this name triggers you, you know what I'm talking about. I believe that Ranga Dice is the name. Uh, but however, I think even Science Magazine published the paper and then like retracted. It was a whole thing that many of the scientists that like reacted negatively to like this obscure paper messiness, what we call messiness, um, uh, this claim was retracted and now that person's reputation is, is, is at stake. So it's important to know that like, it's not just an obscure team that just came out of nowhere um, that's, that's saying these claims. There's also a scientist that's like well-cited in this field. Uh, it also points to the fact that like, when people have a gut reaction or sorry, a knee-jerk reaction of, oh, this is just a, a diamagnetism, uh, the person with like 40 papers cited, at least some of them about diamagnetic uh, materials, he probably knows how to test for the diamagnetism and knows the difference between this and, and, and a superconductor. Um, and then the world starts to go into a frenzy, right? So we now have two papers that differ in also um, charts and data. You're like, correct? I, I don't know if you can uh, speak to the like, differences, but generally... Um, Generally, uh, I think there's like significant differences in how the papers are even presented, and definitely like what theories are behind there, um, behind it. So, so for the the experimental papers, I mean, you, you you take what you get. There are some some basic expectations uh, that like not all of these papers have have totally met for for uh good good or questionable reasons um the the theoretical papers the computational chemistry or quantum chemistry uh papers that's a, a pretty standard field and, and and they do tend to usually follow um at least uh, uh the main parts of the paper till the discussion uh you know a pretty pretty standard format um and then, you know, uh, social media picks up on the story. Uh, I believe many other things uh, pick up on the story. And a potential clue as to why this was released when it was released, nothing is confirmed, is uh, a Friday, so almost a week later after Kwan decides to release this paper, uh, Korea has uh, is hosting, uh, I believe it's the University of Korea or, or some other establishment, is hosting MML 2023. So this is... Uh, a huge international conference held in English that is talking about materials and material science. And uh, we know that Quan was not part of the, you know, there's a website, you go there, he's not part of the prepared speakers. However, he's giving, I don't know if it's a keynote, but he's definitely, there's there's folks on Twitter, which we never heard since. I think there's like one dude on Twitter that said, hey, here's a presentation on like the superconductors. And then that person never visited Twitter or never reacted. Um, but we then have more confirmation that Quan actually presents, uh, you know, these findings and paper. I don't think it's, clear yet whether or not he actually had some of the materials examples with him um but he presents this some folks really don't understand why presenting and not do like a show and tell because 
there is a very easy way to show that you have a, a, a room temperature superconductor, and that's the Meissner effect. Uh, Eli, if you'd like to take the Meissner effect and, and explain this, uh, feel free. So, okay, so I'm I'm gonna try and simplify it enough. Um, in in uh, a, at least a type two superconductor, um, because the electrons, you know, have no resistance, no friction, so to speak, in terms of how they respond to any forces on them. As that goes into a magnetic field that, you know, puts forces on them, so they move, so they create their own magnetic field that exactly counters the, the applied magnetic field. And, and that means that inside a superconductor the magnetic field totally cancels and the result of that is that instead of of um go you know just pushing to you know if you if you try to push it towards the magnet it it wants to resist it it, it i shouldn't use the term resist it wants to to um not go into the force of uh, the field of the magnet right um, because the magnet itself does also have its own energy, that, that magnetic field. So to minimize the energy of the system, it wants to have as little to do with it as possible. Now, it is in gravity, so it'll just kind of settle where those forces balance. And that's the classical uh, pinned levitation that, that we've seen the demonstrations of. Now, in the LK99 material, it might it might be a real superconductor, but it might not behave uh, the same way. Iris uh, um, had a really good uh, diagram showing this that because of the structure of appetite, where there are one-dimensional channels that are the the presumed uh, uh, superconducting uh, uh, part of the crystal structure, um, that. Is, isn't the same as uh, an anisotropic that is equal in all direction uh, superconductor. And therefore, it, that in, in, in a magnetic field would likely just rotate. So the field would put a torque on it um, to minimize the field that is in the 1D channels. So uh, just to connect dots for folks who have no scientific background like me, the floaty rocks meme that you may have seen, the, the have the rocks float, this is what they're talking about. And the reason why I'm talking about this is because in type 2 superconductors, like Eli said, uh, you would see this, right? If you have a superconductor material, and I bet even now if you follow this, but even before, I bet you've seen like super chilled uh, kind of vapor coming out uh, packs or, or you know pieces that people kind of put on top of magnets and then they kind of lock in place and they even the Eli, you can even put them on like rails almost and they kind of kind of go around right and with no resistance um yeah, so it's there are some nuances there but roughly yeah and so this is the demos that you've seen for type two, two superconductor and um we do know that LK99 has some of this property, at least because uh, I'm actually not sure how the videos were released. I know there's like one unlisted video on Q Center's uh, YouTube channel uh, with like a magnet trying to move the material around. And there's another video. This is the one that, uh, if you follow the list uh, that I posted, this is the one that, you know, there's a meme without this, like, I want to believe. There's basically a magnet and a piece of uh, lead and it kind of floats, and then there's a guy with, with like a pen or something who tries to move this, and then 
we see like a partial, uh, essentially levitation or partial magnetic uh, explosion. And uh, potentially this also will have uh, the Meissner effect. And, and this is what people hope to see. People hope to see a locked in place piece, a rock or whatever, from replication attempts, even though potentially this may not have them and still be a superconductor. Is that right? Like this, this could not have the Meissner effect and still be potential yeah. superconductor. Yeah. And, and I mean, especially with, with uh, the anisotropy, um, before I said, I said uh, anisotropy was uh, equal in all directions. No, it isn't. It's, it's uh, uh, not equal in, in all directions. Isotropy, iso, equal in all directions. Sorry about that, everyone. Um, but with, with, with the anisotropy, it's, it's actually a little bit more complicated because um, you don't know the, the, not just is it, is it, are not just are there these one dimensional channels in, in each superconductive domain, uh, but the domains can be randomly oriented. So some samples might appear, you know, at, at least theoretically, we could have all of these things be true at the same time, where uh, some samples appear to levitate and others just appear to have torques on them. It, it starts to get really co complicated. But the biggest complication of all is that we do not know anything yet about the phase behavior, uh, the the um, specific uh, crystal structures, and lots of other details. Uh, so far as I know, there haven't been any um, scanning tunneling mi microscope images of this, which I'm really eager to, to, to see because that will probably tell us a lot and could also um, possibly um, be part of verifying superconductivity. So this is when we talk, provide uh, a piece for like independent research. And we, we know that I think Argon Labs in, in the United States, there's a different like other national labs that are testing this, potentially trying to replicate, potentially have even samples. I don't think we know necessarily that the team ever provided samples. I think we know for a fact, and I think I pinned this on the top tweet, that we know that the interview that they had with Korean media during that same Friday with the MML conference, uh, Lee, one of the authors of both papers, said they're willing to work with research institutes. And we do see this as well. So we do see folks uh, from Q Center correspond over email with different uh, replication uh, labs. We see one uh, one lab from, uh, I want to say, so somewhere in India, I think School of, uh, let me see if I can find this. No, unfortunately, I can't find this. I'll find this later. So we see uh, a professor from an Indian university trying to replicate, and the, he posts in his comments like a correspondence with Lee. And we also see, I think, correspondence with Hyun Tak Kim, the guy, uh, the release, uh, and the guy, the, 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 the sourced person. And... This all shows us that these are not some attempts at a fraud folks. They stand behind their claim. However, uh, the claim is not necessarily easily replicatable. Adepai, you're saying no. Yes, no. Uh, so, uh, sorry. So I, I just want to clarify because the, the kind of like, I, I want to separate the fiction from the fact and I don't know some of the facts. So I just want to clarify again. So number one, uh, Quan at the conference uh, we don't know. We don't know whether he has the sample. Like that's that was implied uh, by kind of like, you know, chatter. We don't know. I don't think having the sample and showing floating a uh, floating thing would have helped, because honestly speaking, when you're speaking to a group of scientists, like this is one sector where there has been like basically thousands of hoaxes. 
Um, and so you would not even believe your own eyes. You'd be like, eh, you know, maybe it's magnetic. Maybe you did something with, you, you know, maybe you, you know, did something with magnetism. I don't know, right? Like you'd want to take it back. You'd want to take the sample back. You'd want the guy who gave you the sample not to be around. You'd want to test it in your own lab. You want to have, you know, X-ray diffraction. You want to have a scanning tunneling, tunneling microscope. You want to have, and then after you do all of those things, you'd want an independent confirmation from, from someone else because you wouldn't know whether you hypnotize yourself into believing something, right? So I think I think it's it's unfair to say that hey you know if you just brought it on and you know had it there uh, and showed people and the and the rock floated it would have created a difference in the perception of truth I don't I don't think so with with a, with a audience of you know scientists no zero 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 there and then the the other thing is argon argon is implied I think Maser at argon is working on it because they're all kind of like you know um, Hyungtak uh, Kazilbash. Uh, Mazer, the guy at the APS at, uh, at Argonne, they've all been like one team for maybe about 12, 13 years now. So I find it very unlikely, uh, given that Kazilbash is listed on as, as, as having reviewed the uh, six author paper, I find it very unlikely that Argonne did not already know. And uh, Mazer is just keeping quiet for now. So I implied Mazer, I don't, I don't know if anyone's reached out to Mazer and Mazer hasn't confirmed, as far as I know, in print, right? So, so I just want to clarify the historical record. Uh, I, you know, Argon is implied by me. I am the person who implied Argon because I, I'm, I'm the one who found the connection. Uh, but I, I don't know, and I, I'm the one who took Mazer's name. I'm not sure whether that is actually true. So, what I know for a fact that the, the true, and I think said that that uh, folks are expecting Argon to be kind of a, a defining voice in whether or not the claims are true and whether or not this actually has like superconductivity um the the floating rock piece i think it's it's a good job but i think you're exactly correct and i think you imply this as well that you know taking this back to the lab with proper equipment with way more and better equipment we also saw some screenshots from the actual equipment they used and folks were not impressed uh they didn't have a lot of funding for this uh, and we actually saw somebody I think a, a Chinese YouTuber tried to go there and knock on their door in, in Korea. They work from, from like a basement. It's not like a huge lab or anything. It's a basement with, with other shops around and uh, not that great of an equipment. And the point I was trying to highlight, again, they're co cooperating at least over correspondence and presenting the case where like they would co cooperate with labs and they email uh, back and forth with researchers, I think from China and from India at least. And uh, they're accepting, they're accepting LinkedIn invite, invites. I think we have Andrew in the audience, Andrew McCallum, who we'll talk about in a second. Uh, I think uh, Hyuntak accepted his uh, invite, so it's yeah, not like the, the folks are hiding. And also Eli as well. <laughs> Sorry, Eli, uh, has he answered? Uh, well, he he accepted the connect request. I, I haven't prepared something to, you know, I I, I want to have something nice to nice and and well formed to to ask him about. For sure, I haven't seen any like a, a correspondence from Hyuntak uh, through email or sorry from, through DMs on LinkedIn, like no screenshots. However, I do know that many of these folks kind of started deleting a few of their LinkedIn pages, which some folks found interesting. But then I think someone posted that like the stuff that they posted before is being uh, spread without their essentially agreement from their LinkedIn page. So they deleted it. Um, and the race begins. So ahead, one, one, one other thing, uh, and of course this does not constitute uh, 
verification as even some of the authors of, of the papers have have said but there um you know in, in a very short period of time there there are some really like well done uh papers for now i've only i can only say well done about two because i've only uh looked at two of them um and in detail only the first one um uh Sinead, uh griffith i think i'm, I'm blanking on yeah, her last name but at, at lbl um and you know, she says herself, this does not constitute proof, but it shows some really interesting uh, results in the band structure that are consistent with it it having, you know, superconductor-like properties. And um, an important thing that comes out of her work is that uh, um, it depends where the copper substitution winds up, whether it causes the superconductivity or not. And uh, that, you know, that would be a very, very uh, clear explanation of why, even if you're doing everything right, this might be difficult to produce, which doesn't mean either that it can't be worked out. It just might, you know, take a lot of time and effort um, or that um, it might not lead to other uh, related materials, you know, that, that are the same, but with different elements in, in different places that turn out to have similar properties, but uh, uh, are, are not as difficult to, to synthesize. And so uh, these two papers are in addition to several other attempts at replication. The paper that you just referenced, I think she's in Berkeley, um, and they uh, Shane Griffith, uh, this is a simulation of some of the parts of the material, right? So it's not a um, full simulation. It's really hard to do a full simulation for every aspect of this material, but it's a simulation that, that shows that like there is a possibility. So we're looking at a uh, directional green light rather than a confirmation. And I think at the same time, another simulation comes out again from China. Um, also, I'm not sure what exactly... Uh, the difference between the two simulations also comes out with like a directional green light. Uh, I want to point out, but folks. Just be, before before we leave this topic, um, there was uh, a bit of a thread about uh, running these kinds of calculations. I I do molecules and nanostructures, not uh, crystal and solids like this. But you know, there's a lot of overlap. Um, like this is the the. That paper was uh, density functional theory, specifically uh, DFT plus U. And um, that is something that, you know, can even run on, on you know, at least decent gaming rigs. Uh, um, I haven't started running any of these calculations myself. But the idea that, that I'm kind of like uh, uh, incubating, and, and I think others are, are thinking about this similarly, is a, a fold-it sort of approach where, where we um, can, you know, let people do modifications uh, different substitutions, etc., um, and you know if if LK ninety nine doesn't uh, pan out soon, like the whole world can work on the problem, uh, and and uh, just by by having more people exploring a huge combinatorial space, uh, you know, with potentially uh, some applied intuition, because the folded effort actually did wind up doing better than than you know machine learning and and, and various approaches until you know the the recent. Uh, 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 revolution in, in uh, uh, AIML, but um, um, I think that's that's one direction this could go. Yeah, I'm trying to find uh, um, Mike Hishon's thread 
that says, hey, if you want to help, uh, he here's how. Uh, and essentially, he gonna... Yeah, I'll find it, I'll post it later. Do not gonna interrupt the flow here. However, we start seeing after those uh, papers come out and after the confirmation, not confirmation, sorry, uh, the fact that Sleuth find another Korean paper that also has, it's written more like a, a journal, less than a, like a scientific paper, but definitely there's more details there. Some folks start to rush to replicate. And these two papers come out proving that there is something worth looking at, definitely, a simulation of something. And uh, I think Sinead was very careful at saying this is definitely not a confirmation, correct? Like, it's a very well-worded paper. We had some of our colleagues on, on the previous space as well, and they talked about, you know, that she knows what she's talking about. She's very well-respected in, in the field, and the paper is written very well, but definitely not a 100% confirmation, but a, a, a sign to <laughs> a sign to be... Well, uh, so, so yeah, just the, the thing about about DFTU is is a, a respectable method, but um, this is the thing. Uh, there are assumptions that go into into the method itself, and um, there it, it's it's not something that gives you quantitative uh, uh, predictions, right? You can explain experiments with it because you you know you have the experimental results to compare to, and then you have your 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 quantum and, uh, analysis of the system, and and you you can point out you know how the overall observed results breaks down in different different features the theoretically right that's that's one uh, one way these calculations are useful, but. Um, um, and, and the higher levels of theory, which, you know, could be more accurate, usually wind up being just intractable in terms of how much compute they require. Um, you know, eventually, I'm sure that if there's enough interest and this hasn't been been disproven, um, there, there, you know, there could be higher level of theory type calculations uh, uh, coming out on this. I, I think that's more likely than not. But um um, the the thing in computational chemistry in some areas the, the accuracy has really really improved. It used to, the whole field used to be dis dismissed as video games by experimental chemists, right? Uh, uh, but it has gotten a lot better, and and it 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 is a very useful tool. Uh, but it's not a substitute for real measurements and real experiments. And uh, we had grenades. Uh, colleague join us and definitely talked about the, the vastness of, of the research here and it's really like very hard to to to, to find like a probable needle in the haystack and this is also something we're seeing right so so this result the simulation result the other definite attempts that we're going to talk about soon from from host institute in china um even we can say and at least you know, I, I take this position after like talking to many of these folks and, and managing some of these spaces that even now, without like a complete revolutionary rock that, that holds current with no resistance and floats and, you know, potentially applicable to many, many things, even now we can say that this is a, a very great direction towards finding stuff in, right? Because um, it does not look like the same areas type 2 superconductor and uh, just to add to this and you like feel free to, to expand on this type 2 superconductors actually uh, have improved with time so the temperature at, at which the uh, this phenomenon could be found in this material rose kind of throughout time as folks found different ways to approach this different methods to to 
create some of these materials. So well, and and, and different, different, you know, totally different classes of materials as well. And you know, one of the things that that uh, you know came out in in the last couple of years um, or so, um, uh, you know, much higher than the previous high temperature. Uh, superconductors uh, that were at liquid nitrogen temperatures, uh, uh, sulfur hydride um, that, you know, came close to uh, the freezing point of water, right, which was, you know, just like fabulously higher than liquid nitrogen uh, temperatures, but that was uh, at, at a very, very high pressure, right so so this is why you know the first thing in 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 the title of the paper is at ambient pressure right um but the thing that that like made me really think that there is something to this when i first saw the paper was that they were talking about uh the copper substitution distorting the ladder the the lattice the crystal structure and that is kind of a way of internally stressing it to get the same type of pressure. And additionally, so copper is an element with uh, um, a not completely filled uh, D shell of electrons. And when you have that and you have um, different things distorting its geometry, like pressure, uh, you get you get changes in in the electronic structure both of the copper and the things it's interacting with and whether or not that's happening here that is something that is really interesting to potentially exploit in in uh trying to produce you know better superconductors and so to, to sum up like we've seen progress in superconductors uh the, the, with like higher temperature but definitely pressure as well uh both these things are making it harder for the current uh, superconductors that we do have type two uh, to be used in real world application, and um, I, I want to talk about at least one of the things that they're being used at currently, and then we can talk about applications of if we do get uh, a, you know a, a room temperature and ambient pressure superconductor out of this. But um, so there's a few things that are very expensive to run. However, humanity decided that like they're worth for us to, to spend money and time on uh, to use the superconductors within them. And they need to be like super super chilled, they need to be held in, in pressure, and there's like different types, like Eli said. One of them is uh, MRI machines, MRI machines, um, magnetic resonance imaging. They basically read magnetic signals from the brain, and, uh, and it's very basic, right? It's way more than this, but essentially the huge magnets uh, that exist there, they're electrical magnets uh, because you know, uh, they're the running uh, electrical current and getting a magnetism there that detect um, signals on your brain. And there is... Uh, well, not not is, just your brain, just, you know, any, any of your, your it, tissue. Where it, Basically, it's uh, uh, differences in, in the density of water is, is a common uh, type of uh, medical MRI. Oh, my bad. Uh, maybe I was referring to fMRI uh, and uh, definitely the kind of the brain that yeah, um, more fu functional magnetic resonance imaging. Yeah, where, yeah. Uh, so MRIs, fMRIs, those use superconductors right now. They're really expensive. They're huge, and they need like a lot of energy to to run them. And uh, the the other place that uh, superconductor is being used right now is the exciting area of fusion research. Uh, Atopai, go ahead. 
I'm I'm just gonna uh, you know because I I kind of want to know too, like and uh, you know what is it gonna do for our phones, which which is basically what everyone wants to know, right? Are you gonna get like you know uh, long, long, uh, very long power uh, cycle? Are you gonna get more compute on your phone? Uh, well, really, like, what is it gonna do for that digital piece that we are all so dependent on? Like, what, like, what are the things that you could see happen? Capacitors, so, uh, so pot- wires. Potentially, potentially, yes. Um, the 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 first thing that'll do is uh, if you can use uh, uh, squids, um, uh, superconducting quantum uh, interference device, uh, as as part of your your reception right that that means your antenna is is way way more sensitive and uh uh so that's one way it could improve uh if if we have integrated circuits with uh superconducting interconnects then some not all of the power usage of chips would uh, would go away um, there, there are some caveats and some challenges that that might introduce as well. And, so, and, so really good phone reception. So no, no, no more like, hey, I can't well, hear you. So, so except you know, it, it could wind up that oh, okay, phones are now now a lot better, and then that you know we're on seven G by then, right? So we only need to put the 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 towers you know ten miles apart, right? Uh, uh, or you know, you can have the equivalent of code bloat where we have better chips, but people are just using them not so efficiently, right? Um, but in terms of, of what's possible with the hardware, yes, that can incru- improve a great deal. And it, it you know, that's, I'm just saying that that's not the same thing as, as how like people uh, uh, in, a, in, you know, probably a market economy, right, wind up using it. The additional thing that applies to personal one second, uh, the additional thing that applies to personal use electronics is battery technology, and it's unclear whether or not this could be um, used in the battery. However, the main property of a superconductor is it holds current, and you can essentially run it like in a circle in there, and until you interrupt it, it's in there. Uh, this is how they're staying magnets, and essentially the current. Uh, the current batteries that we have, like, I think the one most performant is uh, lithium-ion batteries, and the, the lithium-ion has uh, lithium in it. Um, what we're looking at uh, with LK99, one of the main things that like it excites so many, so many people is basically lead and copper and some other materials, very very easy to obtain, very easy, fairly cheap as well, and uh, they're not like rare earth materials, which is I think one of the other points about the previous superconductors in use. And um, uh, LK99 is lead and copper, and lead and copper is like fairly abundant. And if we can even get, let's not go all the way crazy. This is like a, uh, if we just get like the same amount of current, like uh, much cheaper batteries are possible. Uh, but however, much smaller batteries as well, which depends on how much but, current it can actually but, hold. But it, the, the, thing, the thing is that that also depends on not having any magnetic field interacting with the current that's, that's uh, uh, circulating, right? So I, I think that that, it, that is still you know, potentially really useful for things like utility scale storage. In other words, we have photovoltaics and they're only uh, um, producing power in the day, but you know, we, we, can, we can charge large uh, batteries of whatever form, but 
you know, superconducting batteries uh, and, and then have, you know, 24 uh, seven electricity. That's, you know, one, one way or another, we're going to get there. Superconductors can help that. I, I don't know whether portable devices where you can't necessarily ensure that uh, um, you, there's no interaction with any other magnetic fields. Yes. Yes, you can shield it, but it, it gets, that's when 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 you're dealing with superconductors uh, i think that there are some things that might not you might not be able to take for granted for sure and none of this is yet proven as well uh, we're kind of adding to the hype a little bit however holding magnetic current uh, is definitely one of the one of the benefits of, of these type of materials and we know for a fact that you know one of the problems with renewable energy is how to how to move this uh, I think 10 to 15 percent of all energy generated in the United States gets lost during tr tr um, during transmission, and uh, one of the main problems with renewable energy is not a lot of ways, like good ways to store it. So putting portable aside, this will also give us potentially and a lot of like storage as well. It's it's worth it's worth breaking down what you just said a little bit because you know. Uh, High high voltage DC power lines um, are pretty efficient, you know, better than ninety five percent efficient. So, you know, how, how much how much is that five percent going to do? Um, but the thing is that you first of all you have some kind of uh, dynamo, uh, whether it's it's a steam turbine or a wind turbine or whatever else, uh, you know, steam turbine in a nuclear uh, reactor, a fission reactor, right? Um, so the efficiency of that first dynamo or motor uh, improves. And then you have a transformer, most likely. The efficiency of that improves. The efficiency of your power line improves the efficiency of the transformer on the other end improves and depending on on what the end use is the efficiency of of you know the motor that in your refrigerator for example that you're using also improves so you put all those things together we might see on the order of 50 percent improvements of 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 uh uh, uh, energy efficiency, you know, overall, you know, once the whole infrastructure uh, has made the shift. Right. Um, and so what do we, so we see this kind of, uh, you know, potentially uh, quite, um, you know, a transformative, um, you know, technology, uh, but we still have to deploy Right. Like what, what do you what do you think the obstacles to deployment are? I mean, because I think I think one of the big things that everyone asks is lead. Right. Like we just got lead out of our pipes. We're still you know, we still have lead in, in you know, 30, I think 20 or 30 percent of the pipes in the United States. Like what, what do we do? Like how, how is it possible to use this like effectively or is this like impossible? Well, so I, I think that that's, that's a, a, a good, it's an obvious question, but it's a really good question. And I think that encapsulating uh, this in a way that, uh, um, you know, makes it very unlikely that, that you get, you know, just, you know, <laughs> the equivalent of rust happening and, and leaching out lead. Um, I would imagine that if, if, this, if, this, if this winds up being the superconductive material, uh, then, then can, things like that are, are going to get a lot of attention. Um, now, uh, again, you know, this could just be the inspiration for you know something that turns out to be better with different uh, uh, substitutions. That's one scenario. Uh, another issue that we have to confront uh, before this, you know, this is a, a feature of our a fixture of our daily lives, um, is that 
it has to not, I mean, not only does it have to work and get through all the issues that we still haven't gotten through yet, but we have to be able to produce it reproducibly, efficiently, and economically. And um, I, there aren't any fundamental barriers there. If if the world wanted to make it a priority, provided the physics cooperated, the physics and the the uh, physical chemistry of the phase diagram cooperates, um, you know, it, it it's it's then it's just the time of like construction projects to change infrastructure. Um, you know, it it would it would you know say 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 we we absolutely had the superconductor down today, right? You know, how to, how to produce the exact structure and, and the, the fabrication techniques to use it. It would be a couple of years, well, a, at, at least 18, no, probably at least a couple of years before there were chips on the market, right? Just because- I, um, I, I won't push back on this a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I, me, uh, let, me, let me go first, Alex. So, so I, go think, ahead, go ahead. I think I will push back on that. Um, and I will say that, uh, you know, J.H. Kim, you know, bless B's, B's name, you know, uh, he, he found this thing, but I don't think, you know, um, I, I think, the, I, I, you know, I, I, I deal a lot with like taking science into production. And when you go into production, you have like 90%, 95% die off rate, especially in biotech, you know, 99% die off rate, like something works on a mouse model, doesn't work in a human being. So I think, I think what's going to end up happening is you're going to see like, enormous effort on getting this thing into production and you're going to see like a huge range of uh, different peoples with different skill sets entering and i think you've already seen that with kind of iris iris was a soil chemist she took one look at it and she was like these guys don't know what they're doing she basically you know uh improvised and she got a uh, a much better with and that was within like a few days right she decided look you know i'm not good i don't have the tools to do what a big lab would do uh, I'm not going to subject it to X-ray diffraction anyway because I don't have those tools either. I just want to see the Meissner effect. So she's like, okay, I'm just going to improvise, use what's in my kitchen. Uh, and she shortened the synthesis time and uh, she managed to get a result and she posted, right? So, and, and I think we're all tending to believe now that Iris managed to get an actual... Yeah, like, fine, let, let, me, let, let me get to present Iris because the name of the space, uh, Kinzaza, is actually kind of a, a hint, a joke towards why Iris Alexander started doing this and how insane this is that, you know, uh, a Russian, I want to say chemist, she identifies as a, as chemist with an I, anime I, I, picture. I think she says structural biologist, actually. Structural biologist. Uh, so why, why, like, why do we believe like a, a very obscure account on Twitter that now has a lot of following, but back then, I mean, 300 people uh, started posting and uh, she's only part of the replication attempts. So we have uh, Andrew in the, in, the, in the audience, Andrew McLeod from Vargas Space, uh, that also started uh, chipping at this uh, from where he sits. Iris specifically started talking about, hey, uh, I have some time. <laughs> instead of streaming Kin Zaza, which we'll talk about maybe the, the, the importance of this, instead of streaming Kin Zaza uh, to my girlfriend or something, she's busy, so I'm gonna try and hack this together. And uh, the first pictures come out of her kitchen, working on like on the stove essentially um and this looks ridiculous yeah, and, 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 and i got i gotta just interrupt here it's it's like you know a so soviet science and, and and western science safety standards are, are like two different things and just don't don't try this at home these are dangerous things i mean she knows what she's doing right she's she's sharp she has has extensive lab experience uh this is not for for just anybody to try at home 
and we know this now that she has because you know she's in the group chat. We we're talking, and literally not a lot of scientists can say, "Oh, this doesn't make sense." But definitely, the, the folks we talk about confirmed that like she, she definitely knows what she's talking about. Uh, however, what she takes uh, problem with is the the method, the synthesis, right? The setup. And uh, I think what she starts with is like, hey, I can prove that their setup wasn't that great. Uh, and I think, I don't know if this is day or today, Etipat, if you remember how, how fast we saw kind of the two pipette pictures of, of uh, tiny, tiny specks. Uh, but I think within a day or two days, Iris posts a picture. Yeah. And so Iris basically posts uh, pictures of this thing. She gets uh, trolled by I, I i didn't know this but there's an entire host of american chemistry trolls who like troll each other on what they post so she gets trolled on uh, online on on twitter and she basically sits around like you know commenting on them and they want her to do a video and she basically doesn't want to do a video later on i learned this she doesn't want to do a video because she doesn't want to get exposed to lead fumes again which is which is perfectly perfectly fair because yeah, she already exposed 100 percent uh you know this is the, these are dangerous things and you know people get lab safety training and you know it's it's one thing to, to know what you're doing and, and make informed uh, decisions it's another thing for for people on the internet to heckle you and, and demand more yeah and and so she's like you know you, if you guys want to do it you guys go do it yourself right like this is all I'm, I'm posting I'm not gonna post anything else and like this is it right and but luckily she stays I mean she's excited too I guess even though she's like you know cursing at everyone. She's excited too. She stays online with us, and basically, we are, you know, we we come to where we are today. I think we're all leaning so, towards believing that she actually fabricated it, right? No, she she told us straight up, and I think she's on Twitter. And she's very responsive, and folks, I really recommend going to the thread that's now pinned on the top on the jumbotron and just reading through this because it looks ridiculous. Like if you don't know and you don't have a lot of confirmation of like actual material scientists and people uh, who know who PhDs in this who like, oh yeah, she knows what she's talking about. And very, very quick, she knows what she's talking about. It doesn't make sense that somebody just cooks this up in the kitchen. Like Eli said, those are, you know, dangerous, dangerous processes. You have to take care of them. There's a bunch of stuff. And uh, she goes like very in depth to tie and, and provide uh, a proof that the process wasn't that great because the folks who work on this in Q Center, maybe this is not necessarily their expertise. And she has a lot of experience with, with the lab. And since then, I, I wanted to say, Adapai and Eli, the haters have zero basis. Like we, 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 at least here we can say this for certain, correct? There's like zero basis for, there's like zero sciencey things that can be said that she doesn't do correctly. But yeah, you're better in this than me. Is that correct? Yeah, and, and I, will, I will go ahead and say this, like, uh, look, at, at the end of the day, in, you know, in the last century, you needed to post a paper to claim bragging rights. Nowadays, you do it on the internet. Uh, Iris is going to, you know, as a result of writing the historical record as, we, as, as it happened and as a result of posting everything online, she's going to claim this. She's going to be the first independent replication uh, of, this, of this effort. Um, and, that's, and that's exciting. Well, but and, she she actually kind of pushed back against that. She said, you know, this is not about replication. This is about the method. 
and uh, her method does appear to potentially. I mean, it, it's it's still early days, and and you know we'll we'll see how things uh, shake out in the long run. But her her method does look uh, uh, appealing. It certainly takes less time, and uh, she you know she said what I was thinking that like they made some odd choices on on the compounds that they started out with. Though I don't necessarily fault them as much because material science is is kind of voodoo and and or or can be until you really know what you're doing and have worked on something for a long time. And, uh, you know, potentially back in 1999, you know, they did a series of experiments and this was just like one variation and it yielded something that looked very promising. So they stuck with the formula that they had then, you know, and that's entirely reasonable. But when you know that it's, you know, uh, lead phosphate oxide with a, with a little bit of copper uh, substitution, it's like, well, you would choose different, uh, different starting materials. And, you know, may, maybe you'd run into problems with them and wind up with something like what they had. But uh, uh, Iris certainly did hit on something that 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 did work out. And, and, and I will I will I will go, go one step one step further and say that right now, uh, I'm guessing that there are uh, engineers in ceramics companies like Kyocera who have looked at, you know, Iris's process and the process online. And they're like, well, that's not going to work in production. This is what you do in production. <laughs> and, and so because I don't, you know, I, I think I think like growing crystals, uh, growing ceramics for uh, production is often a little bit different from what you do in the lab when you want to really like mass produce. Uh, there's a set of different processes that you have to use. Um, and, you know, I, I think the core, the core chemical process is the same, but, you know, you, the, the way that you do it is different. Um, you know, the, 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 the materials uh, have to be, you know, in larger quantity, et cetera, et cetera. So I think, I think right now you'd expect that there are serious people looking at this everywhere. So if folks look at the Jumbotron again, you see two pictures of pipettes with a tiny black, spec in there and uh now after many people doubted that and many people cast out and after we're talking with iris and multiple like folks confirmed that like she has the process the chops to actually do this yeah first in the kitchen and then in the living room kiln uh, i did not know that many people have living room kilns apparently she does and apparently some other people then as well uh so the tweet the i think will go down in history is the fan service tweet literally she just posted two pictures at fan service and in the alt description of both of them she kind of describes it like this is a pipette and the pipette is there just like to hold the material or something together but it's definitely uh, i don't think she she mentioned meisner effect you like I, I don't know but like she definitely says that this is a reproduction of uh, lk99 this at present, right now, there's a Wikipedia page that tracks all the replication attempts. Uh, the Wikipedia page does not include Iris. We, all of us, Ada Piker, correct me if I'm wrong, like all of us who follow this, this is the first replication that we saw outside of the Korean image, or sorry, the two videos. And uh, I just want to like, you know, stake this to the ground and we'll go down with this. This is the first replication that we've seen online. This may not be the first like in lab, but her process definitely is, is fast and uh, the lack of video, you know, we'll get a video eventually. And, and this this came out, I th if I remember correctly, like right after a, a lab in China was live streaming uh, attempts with four samples that, that didn't work. Correct. I think Houston, or maybe that's the the other lab. There was a uh, there was live stream on that as well. And I think eventually they, they did achieve 
another application in Egypt something with also like a tiny, tiny spec, uh, which we need to go and find. And so this replication starts, this replication process starts. I, I, I want to do everything that I can, and we all want to do everything we can to make sure that, like the, the, the proper folks get the proper creds. Uh, I know that like Quan. Yeah, uh, Without him, potentially none of this would have happened. Maybe, maybe yes, maybe no, but like definitely not now. Quan released this, uh, you know, on on a, on a surprising release, and uh, definitely Iris's place should also be noted because this is the first replication attempt. Uh, and since then, we've seen multiple replication attempts, posting uh, privately and publicly. Uh, Again, I refer to Andrew, Andrew from uh, Varda Space, an engineer of Varda Space, who've been on the spaces. I think he's in uh, If you want to come up, Andrew, feel free. Uh, you don't have to. We, we, I've, I've asked him multiple questions all this time. Uh, Andrew is streaming his, uh, like, what he calls, quote-unquote, the most boring Twitch stream, which I disagree with, like, many thousands of people just trying to watch uh, whether or not this replicates. This just speaks to, like, how much... Um, how much excitement there is. The top tweet, I think, is 3.5 million views. I expect it to go. I expect it to go higher. Um, I want to give Andrew McCallum a second to come up. He's going to be muted for a second. Andrew, if you can hear me now, Andrew. Hey, how's it going? I see some familiar faces out there. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, so, Andrew, uh, you started looking at this. I think we've discovered kind of the history as well. Uh, feel free to give a brief introduction, kind of where are you right now? What are you doing right now as regards to this exciting floaty rock? Yeah, sure. So uh, I had, uh, read the paper, I think it was July 25th. And within about 30 minutes of reading the paper, I figured out that it was actually physically feasibly possible for me to go and try to replicate it. Uh, I was really shocked at how simple the synthesis was. Uh, it looked like something from the 1900s. Uh, you know, you, Typically, you're used to these papers being full of exotic materials and exotic processes. And this was a four materials and a three-step synthesis in, um, you know, a very primitive furnace. So it had a couple exotic elements. Uh, the, the high vacuum uh, quartz ceiling was a little bit tricky. So that kind of precludes some of the hobbyist uh, garage setups. Um, and so uh, just just a quick, quick aside, not high vacuum, high vacuum means something specific. Uh, oh, sure. and this is a very <laughs> this is a very dirty. <laughs> that's that's true. That's true. Um, to the semiconductor crowd, uh, certainly not a high vacuum uh, is a vacuum that you could achieve with maybe a thousand dollar single stage pump. So it'd be one times 10 to the minus three tour. Um, so yeah, it's it's a very achievable vacuum, um, but certainly a little bit better than um, something you would typically see in a with a regular vacuum pump. Uh, your your air conditioner supply guy probably has a uh, a pump that's capable of doing this. Uh, but anyway, um, ordered all the materials. I before Sigma crashed, I got a bunch of orders in, and so uh, proceeded through the synthesis. So the quick update is that we've done two batches of the uh, lanarkite, and we have two batches of the copper phosphide arriving from different sources tomorrow. So we got a little bit held up on the uh, red phosphorus side of things. Uh, it is a bit of a controlled substance in the United States, and so it's tougher for your smaller labs that didn't happen to have the right paperwork in place to go and do that. Uh, we could have done it, but there was uh, quite a waiting period. So it would have been 
about 30 days to go through the paperwork to get it. So we um, found some partners to do that, uh, some overseas, some local in town. And so we expect to have both parts ready tomorrow and we'll start the final synthesis. Uh, that's um, the lanarkide and the uh, copper phosphides. We'll do that synthesis and run it. The uh, procedure says between five to 20 hours to complete this. Uh, not a lot of specificity in either the patent or any of the papers. Um, so we don't really know what the sensitivity is to overall duration or ramp rates. So that's you know concerning because our goal was to really try to just do a straight up replication of the process as described and not really do a lot of off-roading. Um, we're, we're engineers, we're not subject matter experts, so we don't have the theoretical basis to go and make like a good first principles informed uh, judgment on how do we improve this. But actually, um, so all that said, we're gonna be running the first trials tomorrow. We'll, we'll smash the rock, we'll see how it does. Don't predict a whole lot of success, but hey, we may get lucky. But actually, that brings me to... Hey, Andrew, can, can you... Just one second, I want to ask you a few questions. Uh, first of all, thanks for coming up. Thanks for being kind of um, the, the guy <laughs> who, who kind of posts about this publicly in English. Like, I know many, many people like started giving you a lot of like positive energy to do this, and I definitely one of them. I love the effects. I, I, I think you're doing great service to like folks who want to become engineers and... Uh, just like a great place in history, man. Like I really appreciate it, and I hope I hope um, Miser Effect or Bust catches on. <laughs> uh, can, can you talk about that meme as a meme? Uh, yeah, just uh, it, like how it how it got started, or uh, what is the the effect that we're looking for? So we talked about Meisner effect, but like how you got started and, and how, you know, you're not a national research lab. Like the point that you have is not to put this under all the microscopes uh, 100%, right? You, you wanted to see the rock flow. <laughs> you wanted to show us the rock flow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is, uh, this is this very weird combination of the Twitter uh, meme side of the internet combined with very serious professionals that are experts in their field and decades of, of experience. So... Uh, we were just looking for something to sort of uh, bridge the gap. We we knew that it would, uh, you know, giving it a little bit of the uh, the humor would uh, really make it uh, <laughs> attractive to Twitter. And so it, I, you don't see like topics like this really trending on Twitter. Uh, so we wanted to make it a little bit funnier, uh, a little bit more, uh, a little bit more shareable. Um, so we're trying to walk a fine line between serious and humor. So it's the internet seems to like it so far. I think, uh, and I can speak from my place in this, where I kind of got up in the you know information, if you want to say highway, and trying to help folks to kind of understand what's going on. Uh, I think what you're doing is incredible, just because of this, because like a lot of these things happen in papers with a lot of uh, unreadable for many many folks, at least like me, uh, graphs and charts and and material signs, etc. And you're doing a lot of like approachable stuff. You're doing this the way Twitter does this. <laughs> and I w would want to say also, both you and Iris are in, in the green room chat and like you're sharing information that happens openly on Twitter as well. And uh, there's a lot of people who are collaborating on this in one way or another, not only teaching one each other, we're also like talking methods and talking potential applications. And so I think, you know, 
the, the fine line that you're walking, I think you're walking it very well. Uh, so two, yeah, two, two comments on that. One, um, uh, w- one interesting and serious idea. Uh, I'll comment on that later. But the first part is, is a really interesting effect I've noticed is that you cannot post a graph on the internet uh, with a chart and not tell people how to feel about it. Like the instant response is tell me how to, tell me how the squiggles are supposed to make me feel. Uh, it, it is uh, just like this interesting phenomena where n- nobody is really equipped to make value judgments on some of these results. That's really been the difficult part. There's probably a thousand people worldwide that are really, really well equipped as you, as I've sort of like peeled back the onion and talked to uh, people that are uh, experts in a, uh, true experts, not just surface level. It, (laughs) they're always uh, referring to, well, you know, the previous group is a surface level knowledge. And this is really the effect. I get the feeling that the actual community that is qualified to pass judgment is so small. And so I was realizing like we, (laughs) uh, we need a way for people to comment on it. Um, uh, That's not speculation. I don't, I didn't want to like engage in like passing judgment on the graphs that, that seems like the most dangerous thing is to pass judgment on the, on the, uh, the, the squiggles without being well-informed. So, you know, walking that fine line. Um, but the other thing I, I had an idea. And so I was considering how to go about doing this because we're, we're going to get to the end of this experiment and the odds are it, it probably won't be perfect. It probably won't work, even though there's been a lot of success it's probably 10% or less, but I was considering how do we go forward from here? And so I was considering what if we uh, put up a spreadsheet and we just had a a call to all the laboratories that uh, don't have the facilities or the ability to produce this in house. And we just put up a big sign up list and we said, Hey, you know, first batch, we have 50 grams of material. Second batch, we might have a couple hundred grams. Can everyone work together? And, um, collaborate and figure out, okay, who wants to run what test, you know, various resources, universities and groups will have different instruments. So somebody gets XRD, somebody gets SEM, uh, somebody's going to run a test in the squid. It, it would be interesting and it would help like coordinate the dispersal of all these samples. But then the second idea is what if we brought together people to inform the next set of trials. So obviously we want to do a bit of a design of experiment. We want to change some variables. Uh, We'll change one one per experiment. We'll send the batches out. But I would like to have the input of all of the physicists uh, around the world to inform, okay, we want to make this change or that change uh, because I really have no idea the sensitivity of some of these things. So... Andrew, It'd be interesting. If, if you don't mind, <laughs> let me let me interrupt and and say that this is the place where folks in the audience, if you are in, I think Los Angeles, Andrew. Uh, yes, Los Angeles. If you're in the greater LA area, or you want to like come down with your equipment, uh, hit Andrew up because uh, you guys are a lab. Like you have a lab in the back of Varda, right? This is where you're like developing all the stuff. Uh, this is where you're baking. This is the live uh, Twitch, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you have all the equipment that a lab that's fit to t- 
test superconductivity uh, has. Uh, however, you can you can make that you can like invite folks. Um, this is a call out to everybody in the audience who works with the stuff, who can analyze, who has ideas about how to analyze, or maybe give the different kind of directions or different tweaking of the algorithm. Uh, sorry, not algorithm. Used algorithm. Uh, tweaking of the of the process and and the baking. Uh, I think follow Andrew. Give Andrew a follow. Subscribe to his updates because soon, hopefully, the first batch um, is going to. To release, uh, Andrew will give us an update. But please subscribe, and Andrew, feel free to post, and we, we all will boost, you know, to oblivion the fact that he, let's do open source science. Like in addition to Argon Lab, which uh, may be a rumor yet, but makes sense that they would also look at this. Uh, in addition to national labs around the world, it would be so cool to have somebody like Andrew, just like you know that he'll tweet, right? We'll know. Um, so uh, definitely, Andrew, set up set up this list and. Um, and go ahead. T tell us what you need. Tell us who you need. There's folks in the audience. I've seen some folks with different labs. I've seen some folks with PhDs. What, what do you need uh, help with, or who do you need to come come through? Yeah, that'd be great. We'll get a spreadsheet together. We'll start pulling the resources together. That'd be great. We'll get some analysis done, and then we'll figure out what tests to run next. That'd be fantastic. So, so like the very first order of business, I think, is uh, you know once you have a sample that you're ready. To, to pulverize, um, you know, having some idea of, you know, just what ballpark the yield of particles that respond to uh, a magnetic field with, with torque or levitation, but probably torque. Um, that's really important because nobody has said anything at all about yields. Yeah, we're, I'm really interested in that. We, we've been thinking of different ways to do it, maybe put it on the ultrasonic shaker table and we'll just pass a magnet over, kind of lift the particles up, break friction, use a magnet and uh, do gradual sorting. But that's something that I'd like to get to is what percentage of the volume is participating in superconductivity. I, we've seen these tiny specks. I, I know the synthesis is yielding many, many grams. So yeah, yield number, that would be a really novel piece of information. Yeah, I think so, I think one thing that struck me immediately uh, when I first read the paper, uh, and I and I put this I put this like very incendiary post out caveman technology, was that there was no sieving process involved. And I was like, how in the world do you think like you're gonna get a perfect chemical reaction where all of the you know where all of the substances, all of the inputs are getting used up? And there's nothing left over, and then you and then you want a pure a pure crystal, and then you kind of feed it through. I'm like, this is not gonna work. So there, there, so I was like, you know, there, there's there's like missing steps here. You know, there, there's stuff like, did you did you wash it through a solution? Did you did you sieve it? Like, what what did you do? Like, it's it just isn't there. And I was like, ah oh, man, like what are these guys doing, right? Um, Andrew, I wanna, I wanna ask about the specific thing. You said smash it. I think Eli also said smash it, and we know that. Iris definitely said, you know, specs of tiny specs, even though the sample that we saw from, from Q Center is like a puck, like a small puck, right? Uh, they moved like with, with a pen. It wasn't like a tiny, tiny sample. Uh, what is the what is the importance of smashing it to, to bits? Well, just actually, actually, um, it, at least in one of the preprints, they they talked about pulverizing it and then processing it into a film. Uh, and oh, was that in the, in the Korean? Yeah. Well, in, no, in, 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 I think it was in the first arcs of preprint. And oh, okay. well, 
And there, there's also a lot of references in the patent uh, to the physical vapor deposition process. Um, that That's a whole other really interesting topic, which I'd love to get into. That's what we were spending our evening talking about tonight at work was that process. Um, but uh, but coming coming back to the <laughs> the smashing of the rock, we'll, we'll probably put it in a hydraulic press, uh, possibly, and and cleave it or see if it, it wants to shatter. If it doesn't want to shatter, uh, we'll, we'll break out some crude methods. I try to get the grain size down to uh, a couple hundred microns to something if, that looks like the if I remember correctly, they just used a mortar and pestle. Uh, I'd have to check, but I think that's what they did. Yeah, in fact, in fact, I read somewhere that uh, without using the mortar and pestle, they were not able to get a proper mixing of the uh, of the uh, of the items of the of the inputs. And that is, I read some. There's somewhere no, no, in the Korean papers. Yeah, that's the that's the precursors to the reaction. I'm talking about uh, the the um, copper substituted lead apatite oxide. Right. Yeah. The, 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 after the third reaction, when you have the final product, it's, it's a centered, I'm not sure if centered is the right word, but it's a, a fairly robust puck that should be fairly brittle. So we'll, we'll probably knock it down to uh, a millimeter in size, test it. And then if we're still not getting any like, participation and uh, with a magnet, we'll reduce it down to a further and further uh, particle size until we can find something that has a, a high amount of uh, a superconducting effect in the grain. And so you guys are uh, live streaming, uh, like I said, you're an engineer and have the, the materials, or sorry, not the materials, uh, the equipment, the tools necessary. I want to just say the the colleague of Sinead, uh, who, who posted the simulation, he, he talked to us about the fact that if this is in fact a new type of superconductor, there may not be the tools necessary to kind of test some of these properties because like it, it could be like a completely new field as well. So um, replication is one thing, but also like confirming all of the types of uh, superconductivity and, and, and uh, may also take some time. So um, go ahead, yeah. Andrew. Yeah, and that's I mean, that's really why I wanted to open it up to the people that have the instruments. It it seems like we're dealing with very microscopic volumes that are actually uh, active sites. Man, they're, maybe they're at grain boundaries, but uh, this is not going to be a bulk effect. So we're really going to have to pull out the best instrumentation to figure out what what it is that we've actually made. And there's interesting things to say there on the physical vapor deposition side because it it doesn't appear as though we know exactly what we've made so andrew i think everybody in the audience maybe wants to know how long has left and will be will there be like a live stream of the results of it, it depends on when we want to pull it out tomorrow I, if we do it at the eight hour mark it'll probably be at about 8 p.m pacific time that we uh, pull it out of the furnace and then it's a matter of how fast do we cool it down? Do we do a fast quench? Do we let it cool down slowly? So it, it, we'll try to get a vial out before 10 p.m. So it's uh, reasonable. We'll probably have uh, three or four independent vials in there so we can run different times. I'd, I'd like to run one time uh, the entire 
duration and the entire 20 hour duration. So maybe we pull one out at 8 p.m. Pacific and then pull the next one out at uh, 7 a.m. Pacific the next day. So um, folks, definitely give Andrew a follow, folks in the audience who, who in the field and want to help test or come up with tests or you know use, use the process. Uh, feel free to reach out and do will post um, whatever he'll post. I'm not gonna speak for you, but but I want to encourage everyone to do this uh, in the spirit of like a lot of this is happening out there in open source. There's not a lab attempt. We just want to see some rocks fly. Um, but also, everybody is holding their breath for a replication. And so I want to kind of keep talking about the replication in terms, of, if you guys don't mind, in terms of like timeline and where we are, because we've talked about some of this uh, before, and now we're talking about specifically about do we know that the statement that they made in the first preprint uh, and then the second one and then the patent, etc., where they have uh, discovered a room temperature superconductor with ambient pressure that's able to, you know, have all the properties? And I think also they did talk about their there's their samples having some sort of Meissner effect, Meissner effect. Um, so the next kind of we see a lot of chatter from China. Um, and uh, we have some folks in, in the group chat who also like uh, are scouring Billy Billy, which is the Chinese YouTube, I believe, and also Jiju, Jiu, which is like a, um, I want to say Twitter. Uh, Andrew, you had a comment on this? No. Uh, so so uh, we have Elsa. I, I really want to post because Elsa deserves the, the, the creds for this. I'll post her the thread. She follows along and she kind of sleuths around and she, she explains to us that. Yeah, the Chinese internet is vastly different than ours. And if somebody high up on Jihu or Jiju, I'm, I hope I'm saying this right, folks, uh, is posting and saying that they're affiliated with with Hust, with like uh, Hujan National Institute, I want to believe, um, which posted a few of the samples, then they're actually who they're talking about. It's not like a, a fake uh, attempt. They have like the, the social. It would have come down if it like got to any modern popularity or falseness. And uh, Huzhong University of Science and Technology, HUST. So they're uh, uh, putting up two samples, and then I think eventually they're the ones who show us the first video replication, right? So we've talked about Iris uh, potentially, and not potentially, as far as we've seen, and you know, feel free to send me DMs and links to other replication attempts that are earlier. As far as we've seen, at least on, on Twitter and on uh, the competing Chinese kind of social media, Iris's uh, specs of dust were first, but only in. Uh, image form and uh, Huzhong is releasing a second video uh, and, uh, and a few video and they show levitation uh, at least a little bit and uh, I want to just fast forward for today because uh, we are well, just, just the tour. Quick, quick quick point quick point uh, they they they're showing the torque which is what uh, what uh, Iris identified can you can you tell us about the torque well, so it's it's the difference between uh, levitation and just aligning uh, with the field. So so it, it turns oh, it okay. rather so it's than not making like it lock. float. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we, we don't see kind of the... It's not conclusive replication to, to what we want to see. Is that fair assessment? Well, uh, so I, I would say that it, you know, if if this is you know one-dimensional channels, it's it's the corresponding behavior that would be predicted, which would not be levitation. And 
and uh, I want to talk about I want to talk about today. I just want to find the tweet. We saw. Let me just go find this real quick. Um, oh, uh, so so there is a video that's floating around that does show locking, but we don't have a source for it, and we, like supposedly it was leaked. Um, this video came from like a, a Czech speaking tweet account, and then social media inside kind of really building inside China kind of started reposting this, recording this, and now there's like a circular follow where like uh, people try to ask for a source and then people post the source to Billy Billy which is in Chinese and Chinese actually kind of this is a screen cap there is a video out there of like a speck of dust it looks kind of decent and it looks interesting however there's many fakes that we saw and until the confirmation is happening from uh, this is potentially TL, TCL or TLC uh, as well in China uh, but we don't know the confirmation for that. I think many folks in the audience are asking, like, well, is there a replication? Um, Eli and Andrew, I want to talk about the, the kind of relative ease of use for this and how it applies to... Um, would would they release these papers? Would they kind of stand behind this if it was, like, quote-unquote fake or try to fabricate numbers with this ease of use? As far as I saw, this is kind of at least also a positive... Um, at least part of the excitement, let me say, say state it like this, at least part of the excitement is how fast we could see results, which is unlike science at all. Could you talk about this, Eli and Andrew? Well, okay, so just really quickly, if if they didn't uh, believe in, in what, the, you know, that they had something, uh, it would be very unlikely that they did this. And the only way that, that you know, if, if, if they were real scientists who decided they wanted to turn to fraud and, and try to, like, collect whatever money they could and then disappear for the rest of their lives, right? Uh, well, maybe, but that would be an incredibly stupid thing to do. Uh, so I, 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 think, I'm, I think it is almost certain that they, they have high belief that they really have it. Yeah, and we talked about it before uh, that there's a willingness to collaborate and Andrew, I don't know if you had a chance to to, to, to message or DM you back on LinkedIn, uh, or if you got a reply, but there's at least a, a willingness to like stand behind what they believe in. What they believe in is the full, the holy grail, which we're going to talk about some applications next. Yeah, I've submitted a list of questions, and so waiting to hear back on those from him. Um, and agree to your previous point, Eli, it, the least likely outcome in, in my mind is that it's blatant fraud. It, it is, uh, it, it's fraud very poorly executed. Like you said, it's, it's so easily disproved uh, that it, it doesn't make any sense. I, I, I feel that they personally have very strong convictions in what they've measured. Um, you know, whether or not those measurements are executed correctly, or if there's just a, a, a series of unfortunate, uh, like hypnosis in, in their procedures that they have somehow made measurement mistakes. That, that's, I think, much more likely than the outright broad case. So I, I want to add that we have several folks kind of uh, joining this effort to to bring you all of this kind of verified timeline as much as possible. We did post one video that we thought was affiliated with Hoost, uh, Hujang, and then we kind of backtracked this because uh, it wasn't affiliated with them. At least uh, it was like an, um, a retraction. And I want to point out that on um, 
uh, on the top of the space, I've, I've pinned the tweet of like my, my thread talking about some of the folks who are doing the great work of like bringing you good and verified news. Uh, I want to shout out uh, Ivoryfu. I think uh, it, their work got picked up in some magazines as well. The, the table over there has following at least a few but as much as possible sourced uh, replication attempts and it gets updated very often. Um, there's a similar paper, uh, sorry, there's a similar table in Wikipedia that gets updated less often. Wikipedia's article is actually very well sourced right now. If you go to LK99, um, back when we started like a couple of days ago watching this, there was nothing. Now it's a very well like, in-depth article. However, as, as we said, we're not extremely happy. First of all, some of this looks like lifted directly from my refuel, and second of all, Iris, which uh, a lot of us attribute the first replication and uh, I don't know Andrew if, if 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 you want to speak on Iris's kind of uh, defense here but like Wikipedia authors said that if they add a Russian anime chem girl to Wikipedia like the whole table will go down which you know personally I find ridiculous and I want to I want to stand here and say that I think it's ridiculous like like attribution should go whether or not you know uh, it's the first lab this is the first one that we saw however if you want to follow along as well there's a list of folks that have been collecting, and uh, Irifu is definitely a, a person to watch. He updates this table, or sorry, they update this table um, often, and a lot of this is like very well sourced. And I think it's also chronological. There's like a bunch of information there. Andrew's there, uh, Iris is there, a bunch of Jihu uh, accounts that you go directly, uh, which I can't because I don't know the Mandarin. So I think we have some folks in the audience who also want to come up, and I'll try to invite uh, Robert again. But Andrew, so tomorrow we uh, so uh, is it tomorrow or are we keeping this on on the loop? I know you have to before, but I want to just verify again. Yeah, yeah, we should have the first sample, a a shorter duration sample at uh, let's say eight to nine p.m. Pacific time. And then we'll have the longer duration sample coming out early Friday morning, probably 8 a.m. Pacific. I will say this, and I've been following this, like you guys know, like all of you on stage here very closely. I changed my nickname on Twitter to like, I want to believe it. Because at some point, you know, the, the excitement, the, the guarded uh, academia speak of like, well, if this replicates, et cetera. And I know like I'm doing a lot of uh, public service and people have told me like, hey, you, you know, keep honest and don't, don't put your whole reputation on the line. Uh, but I'm also here to like, be positive about the world changing. Most of my day job is I educate folks about AI. We have a space tomorrow to talk about something else. And I jumped in this like with, with two two legs because uh, we're gonna talk about applications next. And I think we have some, at least some some time with us. Uh, and we're gonna talk with, with Joseph as well. The, the potentials for this is so huge. And the, the, the detractions against the team in Q Center where a lot of this was like due to poor kind of quote unquote science process, right? Like the paper release, another paper release was confusing. There's measurements, they updated the paper because like Ekapai said, they, they copy pasted something that even showed like an error in the paper. There, there's a, the website went down today. There's a whole mess around kind of the process itself, but we're seeing enough evidence of like they have something and that something is not like any of the stuff that we saw before. And so today, or I guess yesterday, maybe yesterday, maybe today, guys, I'm losing uh, uh, track. Uh, we saw a confirmation, including a paper, that uh, while not room 
temperature conductivity, but that LK99 uh, as as it was like written in the preprint papers is a superconductor. Not room temperature, so we don't have a confirmation of a room temperature, but we know that it's a superconductor, and I think it's also uh, a Chinese university. And uh, Eli, have you seen these results? And uh, can you talk about the 100 Kelvin compared to type 2 uh, superconductor? If Eli is uh, yeah, so, so Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, I did see the, the graph, right? And it, it looks real. And... Um, uh, I, I saw actually Iris talking about it and, and she said exactly what I've been thinking uh, going back even to the discussion of grains in the first preprint that percolation uh, could be going on. Percolation is where you, if, if you think about like dumping a bunch of pine needles down in the paths that would form as they cross each other is, is like a, a really maybe oversimplified uh, description of percolation. Uh, but that explaining like some of the 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 features of, of the graphs uh, uh, there, and it would also yeah. So if if you think about those pine needles lying down, you know how how far apart they are, and how many of them actually you know get close enough where you could you know think of an electrical contact. Um, uh, if if that's really variable between samples, that would go a long way towards explaining what's going on in terms of difficult difficulty to replicate. And uh, um, the one thing I wanted to talk about here on on the panel uh, is the one hundred uh, Kelvin. So so replication side. Uh, by the way, folks, if you want to see the the scientist, I think his name is Sun Ye or Sun Yu. Uh, there is now a pin tweet on top with a translation of his live stream. I believe this was from, yeah, 10 hours ago. So today, today there was a live stream on Billy Billy. I translated, put it up, uh, Andrew, um, um, sorry, the other Andrew that we have, Andrew Cole, uh, Andercott is his uh, username, sorry. I'm <laughs> dealing with a lot of uh, names at the moment. So he also posts this and talks about this. So the, the folks in, oh, it's not Houston, it's um, Department of Physics at Southeast University. They also released a paper with graphs, but they also released like a live stream where they uh, they confirm essentially that like what they see is superconductivity at, at low temperatures, uh, not room temperature, 100, uh, 100 degrees Kelvin. However, and I think uh, Andrew talked about this, Eli, maybe as well, you have something um, the type two superconductors. This is at the upper range of type two superconductors that we currently have. Is that is that a fair assessment to folks on on the on the call? The confirmation that yeah, they have. Yeah, yeah. No, and I, I mean, if you think about it, if if this had been discovered instead in, instead in in nineteen eighty, uh, I mean that that would have been really noteworthy. And specifically because other superconductors are also rare earth materials and really hard to come by and the process is is uh, i actually don't know about the process but this is lead and copper and some other stuff this is like <laughs> we have a we currently have a confirmation from like a respected you know i, I don't know if there's fucking audience who, who talked against the, the the recent kind of uh southeast release however and i think I've, i saw some people talking about 
the percolation and some other stuff. But currently today we have a confirmation that LK99 is at least a superconductor that's at least as good as current uh, superconductors that we have. However, the process is way simpler and the materials are way cheaper and like way more abundant. Right? So, okay. If we stop today and stop like confirming everything and everything else goes to bust, uh, but uh, if this specific thing replicates, uh, this, is, this is great news. Uh, and I think in perfect timing, perfect timing, I think while he comes up, um, and and uh, and his microphone and connection is connecting. We've been trying to get uh, Robert Belgrave on stage, and uh, I think we can hear you, Robert. Hey, Robert. Hi. Can you hear me? I think you need to press a mute. Yes, we can hear oh, you. Oh, amazing! You? So sorry, guys. I didn't realize. Uh, Thank you so much for. No problem. No problem. I didn't realize that this this whole speaking thing didn't work on a laptop. So I've been uh, I've been watching my laptop and wondering yeah. why why can't I why can't I speak. <laughs> <laughs> but I worked it out. Thanks. Thanks, thanks Ada. Uh, for first time, folks, uh, I would love for you to introduce yourself, and then uh, if we can have a brief conversation about, like, uh, you know, generally the stuff, and then the recent events, uh, feel free. To sure. Um, so, hi everyone. Good, good to be here. Thanks for the invite. Uh, so, my name is Robert Palgrave. I'm from uh, University College London. Uh, I I kind of trained as a chemist, but I'm really a materials chemist, or you could say material scientist. So. I work a lot with um, solid-state materials, solid-state synthesis, uh, thin film deposition, actually. You, you were mentioning that a little bit earlier. I probably spent the first 10 years of my scientific career doing different, different kinds of thin film deposition. Um, and yeah, the, I, I'm you know, as fascinated as you guys are by this, this uh, development. I mean, I'm not an expert in superconductivity. I've never studied superconductivity before, but um, my angle was really just looking at the the synthesis, the way they did this reaction, the, the kind of chemistry of it, and um, you know, ha having having a look around there, especially their characterization side. You know, they've, they've made this um, material with perhaps amazing properties, but I think, as uh, Andrew was saying earlier, they don't really know what it is, and I think we still don't really know what it is. Which um, for me is kind of the, the interesting part because because that, that's the kind of stuff I work on. Um, so I, I have a question for you, uh, Robert. Um, you know, uh, there was uh, this kind of, I think part of the patent was a chemical vapor deposition. There was a, a, an addition to the patent on chemical vapor deposition. Can you speak a little bit about like, you know, CVD? Why, 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 did, why did the team kind of divert into looking at CVD so quickly? What are the uses of CVD or thin film? Like what, what, would, what would they end up using, uh, you know, CVD deposited superconductivity for? Uh, if I, I just want to clarify real fast, the, the patent is dealing with a, a physical vapor deposition. It's a, a thermal um, deposition process. Yeah, I think that was right. I was going sure. I I, I, I to I look at it. I was going to think maybe I missed that. So, so chemical vapor deposition is definitely a thing. and It's a very versatile technique. But I think, I think you're right. Yeah, what, what I saw in the patent, at least, uh, and in fact, in a paper, in the first preprint, they, uh, they talked about physical vapor deposition. So, I mean... The, there's lots of kinds of physical vapor deposition. The simplest one is you just kind of heat something up and it evaporates and then it condenses on your substrate, the thing you want to make the film on. And if you uh, get the conditions right, then you can grow a lot of different materials that way. Normally you would have to do it in, in a vacuum in, in kind of perhaps even a, a true high vacuum or even ultra high vacuum environment in order to uh, stop, stop the thing that you're evaporating reacting with uh, the atmosphere that it's passing through. Um, but yeah, it's a pretty versatile technique, um, with thermal evaporation, 
you know, you can you can deposit quite a wide range of material. So it makes sense to try that. Uh, you, you simply get your material that you uh, made out of the furnace, you know, in the way that I guess they described and put it on, um, you know, put it into your vacuum chamber and then heat it up and you get you get a thin film, perhaps. Now, there's a lot of questions there. So is the thin film the same thing that you uh, put in at the bottom of the of the deposition chamber? In many cases, it won't be. There's lots of opportunities for, for chemical reactions to happen uh, because, you know, you're providing a lot of heat and you're putting it in a high vacuum environment. So things can evaporate, things can change chemically, uh, and you definitely need to do a lot of characterization on that thin film to see if it's the same thing as you put in at the bottom. And it's not by any means guaranteed that it will be. So I, as far as I've seen, everywhere I've looked, I haven't seen a single bit of characterization on any thin film. Um, so that's definitely something that that's need, needs to be filled in. Second, just... Well, okay, so, so they, they did do their, their uh, resistivity uh, measurements on the thermally uh, deposited thin films in the first paper. Apolog yeah, yeah. No, no, you're exactly right. Apologies. I wasn't very clear. I meant, uh, you know, chemical or structural characterization. So, so something to say that the, the, the thin film that they made is the same as LK99, the, the material that they got out of the, the furnace. Uh, yeah, sure. They, did the, they actually did the resistivity. You're exactly right, I think. Um, but in terms of structural characterization, I mean, it could be something completely different. Uh, we, we really need to find that out. So, you know, that's, um, that's, that's a, a, I think, a, a big task, you know, ahead of anyone who wants to do that. And also just, just getting that deposition to work. I think there were very few details of how they did it, maybe no details at all of the conditions. So, you know, the pressure, the temperature, was the substrate heated or not? How far away was the substrate from the, uh, from the uh, source of the material? All of these things are going to be, um, you know, something that you would need to fine tune a lot to get a to get a decent thin film. Yeah, in I was in the, my reading of the patent, I was just going through my mental checklist of, you know, what would I need to know to repl replicate this? And there's a lot of missing variables. The substrate is simply referred to as glass. Yeah, there's more definition. Temperatures listed from 900 to 2,000 Celsius, and I um, perhaps we can throw it up on the uh, the jumbotron, but. Uh, there's a figure in the patent, figure six, that shows actually a gradient that's being deposited from white, light gray, dark gray to black. It appears as though it's being plating out uh, gradually, and they don't say where the uh, SEM uh, figures are actually sampled from um, and where the XRD is coming from. There's obviously differing compositions. It's not homogenous in the least, and so who knows what the compositions are of all of these uh, different regions. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think, I think in general um, that, sorry, go, go ahead. Was there more, was there more you wanted to say? Uh, well, I just, I just wanted to emphasize. Uh, you're, you're, you're breaking up a little bit for me. I'm not sure for other speakers as well, but. Uh, um, okay, let me get on Wi-Fi and I'll, I'll do it. Yeah, get on Wi-Fi. I will say, uh, Andrew, can you, can you take a look and see if I posted the right thing, the, the patent uh, on the Jumbotron? Andrew, maybe we're having some, maybe I'm having connecting issues. No, um, I, I yeah. hear you fine. Oh, there you are. There you are. That's, it. That's the right one. Awesome. So, so yeah, so I just wanted to mention on, on the LinkedIn slide, uh, um, he, he talks about, quote, chromatographing 
it on it into a film and analyzing portions of the film. So we know there's a variation. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, I think in general for this whole, you know, the, the, the whole field, there's a lot of work to be done on, on characterization of these things. So, um, and I think, I think this, this really goes to what you guys were speaking about a little bit earlier with the, all the, all the DFT work that's been coming out. Um, that DFT work really, you know, so Sinead Griffith's papers and all the other papers really relies on uh, a pretty accurate model of what this material is, because uh, that's what they have to input into their into their calculations. So, if you um, don't, if you're getting the wrong material, if you're putting in the wrong material, you're going to be spending a lot of computational resources calculating something which is not actually the the material of interest. So, I, I still think there's very fundamental questions unanswered um is the copper actually doping into the lead appetite in the way that they say it is i don't see any evidence any experimental evidence to say that it is it seems very speculative is the copper even doping into the lead appetite at all i think that's still a little bit open i'm not i'm still not completely convinced that it that it actually does um what 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 is the rest of the sample so in the patent they do actually do a little bit of uh, quantitative analysis of the XRD, which is the only one I've actually seen. Um, and there they show that that about 50% of the sample, slightly over 50% of the sample, is actually not the lead appetite phase. So it's not 50% is, is other stuff. And they, they talk a little bit about what the other stuff is, but I think one of their labels is copper and other copper-containing phases. So <laughs> not, not particularly specific. And, and and we, we don't know for certain that there's only one uh, uh, copper-doped lead appetite phase, right? Yeah, I mean, it does. I mean, the XRDs, some of the XRDs do look like, you know, reasonably, the, the peaks look like there's probably only one appetite phase there. I mean, you might expect if there were, um, you know, for example, a few different copper doping of the appetite, they might be have slightly different lattice parameters that would cause the peaks to shift a little bit and that would just make the peaks kind of double up or look a little bit asymmetric maybe. Uh, and I didn't didn't really see that, but you know, I'm just kind of eyeballing the stuff. I think some of the stuff I've been some of the points myself and others have been trying to make on Twitter is really just kind of eyeballing XID patterns is not not the best. Uh, you you kind of have to you know there's there's ways to do the analysis. Uh, and those ways have been known for, you know, 30, 40, 50 years, let's say. Um, so, you know, just, just kind of staring and thinking, oh, that looks a little bit like this pattern is, is you, you can do, we can do a lot better as a, as a scientific community. And, and I think that's, that's probably certainly the next step that I'd be interested in, you know, what, who, who can make a good sample list and actually, uh, you know, have the, the skills in, in XRD analysis in order to, to work out convincingly what this stuff is. We, we work with uh, titanium dioxide photocatalyst primarily, but our team, um, you know, we're dedicated to developing what we call essentially uh, AGPI, if you will. So we're really interested in building this ability to model and predict different physics domains and different results and so on. We start with quantum chemistry uh, our team is uh, about 10 people, full-time equivalents, 20-plus contractors. We have ex-Sandia Labs, ex-Oak uh, Ridge National Labs people, you know, focusing on condensed matter physics and superconducting 
physics and so on. Um, what we've been doing is really sort of thinking and taking a step back and figuring out how do we actually improve the existing computational matter, uh, modeling of the system, given the sort of problems that you pointed out, Robert, right? So like, we're also, you know, not too impressed with like the characterization that's been done so far, because essentially, there's a lot of hand waving, I believe that's going on, in trying to guess at the crystal structure. Uh, I remember the original paper with uh, Cindy Griffin, you know, that she posted a few days ago, the biggest problem that we saw there was that it assumes an ordered structure. And there's nothing based on the existing synthesis process that was reported for us to believe that this is an ordered system in the first place. So one of the first things that we're doing is trying to enumerate over a larger configuration space of like what other sort of configurations can we have with the copper doped in the lead appetite system? What would that crystal structure look like and what would its values be? So we're currently looking at like all the standard measurements like local density of states, charge density, uh, and so on and so forth. Um, just throw it in there. But uh, yeah, certainly it's frustrating the lack of characterization on this. I mean, I think something that, as far as I know, um, I mean, that, that sounds like a great, a great way forward. Something that I, I don't think I've seen in any of the DFT papers, I know that I think there's maybe four DFT papers out now, um, is actually a, an assessment of the stability of copper in lead appetite just compared to, to lead appetite on its own. So they all look at, or some, at least some of them look at, you know, the stability of copper on different lead sites within the appetite, but they're all assuming the copper is there. They're only comparing, you know, copper dope things with copper dope things, saying, oh, this one's more stable. But what I, what I think would actually be really useful from DFT, and they could probably do it now, is to see, is it energetically feasible for copper to even go into this stuff in the first place, to even go into the, uh, the replace lead in, in the appetite system? Because if they calculate that it's actually massively unstable for it to be there, that's probably a good indication that it's not going where, you know, the, I'll just the original guys say it's going. I just want to uh, make sure the audience going to attract a little bit uh, as I'm trying to. You guys are amazing, and I'm so happy that this is actually happening. Robert, DFT is the simulation part, right? It's not like, hey, let's replicate the material yeah, in the so... lab and actually see it under a microscope. DFT is like, we put a computer, we give the parameters. Yeah, Alex, if you're we talking, see. we can't hear you. I, I, I think, uh, I think you, you should like, rejoin, something. Ellie. Yeah, we can hear Alex. Yeah. yeah, I could. Um, I could so, yeah. Sorry, so, yeah. Robert, DFT, yeah, DFT is de is density functional theory. That's the same theory you guys were talking about a little bit earlier in the in the space. If people were there then, that's what Shanae Griffiths and a few other. I think there's three of these papers now. It's a computational method. It uses very high performance computers. Uh, it's basically quantum mechanics in a box. So you take, you put your atoms in a box, and you apply quantum mechanical equations with a lot of simplifications, and it spits out a whole load of properties it calculates what the most stable arrangement is it calculates um you know the electronic structure how the electrons are arranged in the material and it can tell you a whole load of useful properties um so yeah it's not it's not an experiment uh i think i think someone referred to it as playing video games earlier on and as experimental chemists i kind of uh laughed because that's what i say to my theory colleagues but it's actually an incredibly powerful technique and it's much more powerful than it was even 10 years ago um so yeah it's a, it's a kind of vital, vital tool for material science. Couldn't agree more, Robert. In fact, if you're interested, and so we're live tweeting 
uh, our current, you know, DFT simulations, we're using VOST uh, to figure out exactly what you're talking about. You know, we're interested in, are there even thermodynamically uh, favorable configurations of copper doped lead appetite? So we're comparing it with normal, you know, non-copper doped lead appetite versus the change in the formation energy and so on and so forth uh, with uh, copper doped lead appetite. Um, I just posted it in the billboard here, I guess, like I just replied to uh, Alex's original thing. Uh, and, you know, just wanted to add some more context for, you know, anyone who might not know uh, where DFT comes from, right? So, you know, it originated initially in the 50s, and the initial thinking happened in the 50s, some of the papers came out in the 60s. The idea was to essentially find an approximation to the many-body Schrodinger equation, because uh, just past uh, around 1935, um, Paul Dirac, you know, determined that if you could actually solve the, find the exact wave function for any solution of the many-body Schrodinger equation representing whatever crystal structure or material you're interested in, you could derive many of the sort of material properties that you're interested in. But, of course, calculating the exact wave function, the solution for many-body Schrodinger equations for systems that are even remotely physically relevant uh, is computationally intractable. And so that's where, uh, yeah, this DFT sort of comes in. Um, and, uh, yeah, agree. So a question, a question on the simulation, Deep, Deep and Robert, if Please. you guys don't mind, uh, kind of to, to bring you back to, to popular side level, if you will. The simulations that are happening now may be potentially quicker to maybe see some of the effects. However, you know, obviously replication is happening, experiment happening. We'll see a result fairly quick, right? Like Andrew is about to, to pop his uh, um, kiln open. There's multiple labs already kind of confirmed. And like, we're waiting for some visual effects or the visual compared to also like actual like huge labs with papers that like replicate and say that what we have, you know, let's hope that it is, is a room temperature conductor. Is it then helpful to then start optimizing this like crazy to bring this to production, to actually put it in applications? Like, what, what, what is the FT used besides uh, what you're using right now for? And what do you see these simulations used for this specific material or this specific process going forward? Yeah, that's, I love that question, Alex. Um, the way that we're thinking about it is that, you know, we're closely monitoring replication attempts, particularly any characterizations of the crystal structure that sheds more light on it so that we can make the DFT calculations more accurate. At GenMat, we work on something called the inverse design problem, which is that given a set of target material properties, let's say band gap and formation energy, just to pick two, um, let's say you're interested in working backwards and figuring out what combination of chemical compositions and crystal structures would give you these properties. That's where I think uh, you know some of these efforts, especially truly using generative models combined with DFT, will be really helpful. So let's say we have successful replications across the board, and we find out that, okay, this process is very finicky, uh, slightly impure. What we could do is and look at is, are there better substitutions, better dopants? Is there something even better than the lead appetite system? Again, assuming that we can properly model it completely. Awesome. And Robert, I would love to your take on this as well. Uh, you are... Um, you, where do you see DFTs going? You said it's like way better than uh, 10 years ago and it's not more like... It's not no longer a game at this point. Um, Talk to us about how exciting this is once we get confirmation. Hopefully, we get confirmation. Yeah, I mean, D DFT is a, 
I mean, I, I, don't, I don't do DFT myself, but I work very closely with people who do, and it's, you know, it, it's, it's extremely powerful. It, it's coming from something, I would say, 10 years ago, which could kind of support experiment um, to, to some, a place now where, where, as we just heard, where DFT can really lead experiment. So you can make, uh, you know, a huge number of predictions using DFT, and then, you know, the experimenters can say, okay, I'm going to pick uh, the, the good ones and go and, and make them in reality. So... Uh, in this case, I mean, it's actually probably gone the other way around in, in the experiment has led because the experimental results were first. It didn't come from theory, it came from experiment. But, you know, DFT and experiment or theory and experiment, let's say more, more widely are uh, very much, you know, of equal footing now. If you see a DFT paper that predicts something and it's from a reliable group, then, you know, it's probably right. Uh, so whether, whether that thing can actually be made in reality, there may be some other issues, but... Uh, uh, yeah, I think DFT will have an important role here, uh, and it might be, you know, that once we understand um, why this works, because there's going to be a lot of new physics here if this is genuine, it might be that, you know, the lead appetite don't with copper is, is not the optimum system. There may be many better ones. Once we understand the idea, uh, we might be able to then go and design for, uh, to, to find the same structure, to find the same uh, kind of arrangement of atoms, which will give us maybe even even better properties which you know maybe uh maybe much more useful so i wouldn't i wouldn't necessarily go and put all your money in lead and copper stocks right now they may be uh, mm -hmm. it might not be that that comes out at the end um <laughs> but uh, but sorry sorry if you guys already have uh but uh, but um so, you're probably okay for now you're probably okay for now uh but you know i think there's, there's, there's a long a long way to go with this i wouldn't necessarily see this material as the one thing that's going to be uh, that's going to be commercialized, but if it's true, it's a massive breakthrough, and it's um, going to spur on a whole load of, of new research for for decades to come. I would think. So, so just just to add to that, um, about let's see, about one and a half hours ago, uh, Korean media has uh, dropped a uh, email interview with Hyun Tak Kim, where uh, he basically says, like, I believe the characterization is done. And uh, you guys can go and check and the other overseas groups can check and that he's willing to assist people who are doing the characterization. But he himself has moved on to researching new substances. <laughs> wow. Amazing. Wow. OK, so so um, breaking. So I'm going to I'm going to drop that. I'm going to drop that to the to the to the, uh, to the room here. Yeah, add, add this to the jumbotron, please. We want to follow and thank you, Atapai, for breaking news. And like, <laughs> uh, I want to ask Robert. Uh, Robert, you um, you're looking at this. You're saying if this replicates, um, last space we had, and I think this was way before. I think even Iris Alexandra showed us some of the some of the replication attempts in the living room, and then definitely before the Hoost Institute and some other folks, and I think before Sinead released the, the DFT paper, um, folks gave uh, percentages. I'm not going to put you on the spot if there's a percentages, but I, I do want to ask you specifically, what do you need to see to get to, we have a room temperature superconductor like in our hands in this material. What, what else needs to be done? Well, I mean, for me, as not, not a superconductor person, it's hard for me to judge, you know, is the current, um, you know, resistivity, heat capacity measurements, um, or, or do we need more? It's kind of hard for me to say anything, you know, basically a layman's, a layman's answer to that. Um, 
what I what I'd want to see, you know, if we do get something, is we we need to throw every bit of characterization at this. Um, I'm still pretty doubtful that the explanation you, they came up with in the characterization. I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, you. sorry, sorry. So, what so what? Sorry, what I what I mean is, okay, let's 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 uh, use, use something that I maybe said in an earlier tweet. If you if you want to, um, if you design a new material that does a fantastic thing, you know, for example, room temperature superconductor. What you want to know about that material from a chemistry material science point of view is what atoms is it made of? So what elements are in there? You know, is it lead, oxygen, phosphorus, copper, etc.? And secondly, uh, where those atoms are in space, so how they're arranged. So the first one's called the composition, the elemental composition or chemical composition, and the second one's called the structure. So if you know those two things, then thanks to you know what we've already been talking about, all these theories that we have, all these computational power. We can know, you know, almost, I'm not going to say everything, but almost everything about the material, you know, if you just understand those two things. But at the moment, um, we don't, under, as far as I'm concerned, we don't understand either of those things about this material. We don't know what elements it contains, for sure, because actually what they produce is a mixture of a whole load of different stuff. And they haven't really put much attention into understanding what elements are there. And secondly, we don't know the structure. They came up with some... They did some X-ray diffraction, which is like the gold standard, really, method for understanding structure, understanding how atoms are arranged in, in space. But the way they interpreted it is like, you know, I would say not, 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 an advanced, not at a high level. You know, there's, there's a lot more stuff that they could do. They kind of looked at the pattern and said, well, it looks a little bit like this. And then that, that's kind of it. Um, there's, there's many, many levels of analysis you could do above that, which will give you very detailed quantitative you know numerical information about the the structure measuring the exact bond distances measuring the exact composition the exact arrangement of the atoms all of these things um which would give you you know that that level of detail that we need so i think in terms of composition you know what elements are there structure how are they arranged we don't really know the answers uh so that's that's uh we're basically a point zero in understanding this this material from a chemistry point of view so I can't really speak about a superconductor. If it's a superconductor, it's a superconductor. That's amazing, you know. But there's a there's a long way to go in climbing this hill to understand what the material actually is. But that's that's kind of fine because if if it's a superconductor, if it really is, and people can replicate it for superconducting properties, then every lab in the world is going to want to do this. You know, every lab in the world is going to want to spend time on it. So it will okay, go down. Could you? Yeah, sure. Could you yeah. please continue with every lab? And given the fact that we've seen replications happening in like living rooms, and the materials yeah. are way cheaper than previous superconductors, can you start us on the path, and then folks on the stage will join as well of what this actually means? Like many folks here for superconductors, maybe for the very first time in their lives, some of them maybe you know heard from us on previous cases, you know MRIs, MRIs. Uh, you know, fusion reactors, all this like very space tech and like forward. Could you talk at least about some stuff and then everybody else can also jam in on like, what does this actually mean to science? What does this actually mean to have a superconductor with these cheaper materials, with this ease of kind of baking, uh, given that it replicates and given it's like applicable in, you know, wire form, let's say. Sure, sure. Um, well, I mean, I, I think a, a few. You mentioned a few of the technological examples. I, I'm I'm definitely not an expert in in applying superconductors to to real life technology, but you know, all the examples you gave are great, and they're going to be 
you know, revolutionary in lots of different technologies. From a science point of view, I think what we will learn a lot, because if this is a superconductor, it's a new kind of superconductor. Yeah, It's not the same kind of superconductivity we've seen in other materials, because it just doesn't, it doesn't behave the same way and it doesn't have the same kind of structures that we've seen before. So we will definitely learn a lot of new physics from this uh, because we will understand, you know, that electrons can actually behave in a, in, a, in a way that we hadn't really considered before in structures that we hadn't really thought about before. So I think I'll, I'll probably leave it there because I don't want to talk too much about the technology that I don't really know too much about. But certainly for physics, there's going to be lots of knock-on effects that we probably can't even... Um, you know, contemplate at the moment, uh, maybe in completely different areas. You know, ideas from this could spring up in all sorts of different areas of physics and just revolutionize things that we don't even know, we don't can't even think of at the moment in, in 10 years' time. So if it's true, you know, that that's that's going to be one of the, the big impacts, I think. That is so well said. Go ahead. Um, yeah, I was just going to add to what Robert said, especially the new physics point. I think that's super important, other domains being impacted. Um, the most recent example I can think of is the SYK model, the Sabir uh, Yikataev model. It's a statistical mechanics model um, that is essentially used to describe strange metals. So strange metals is a phase of matter that shows up with certain superconducting materials that happens right before you enter the superconducting phase. It's a very, very poorly understood phase of matter. SYK is fascinating because essentially the statistical model of physics that, you know, at least describes uh, for certain, you're able to uh, analytically calculate, um, you know, the ground state of this SYK model, which, you know, generally correlates uh, in various different excited states and so on and so forth. You can sort of predict or useful make useful predictions of strange matter, if you will, <laughs> or strange metals is the accurate term for it. Now, the mind-blowing part is that the SYK model was discovered to also um, essentially capture the physics of two-dimensional, aka one-dimensional black hole with one imaginary dimension, black hole physics. So the sort of implication there, right, and of course this is still speculative uh, because these kinds of black holes don't exist, implication is that a lot of the sort of physics that are happening in condensed matter systems might actually be occurring right at at the black hole level or be useful for understanding that so that's just an example you know to add to robert's point where discovery of one kind of interesting phase of matter has affected how we think about astrophysics um and i can absolutely see something like that occurring here if these superconductors are real then it basically implies, exactly as Robert is saying, that there are, you know, unknown mechanisms. Because we know, you know, there's no way that electron-phonon coupling, for example, in Cooper pairs are occurring in this kind of material, right? So we know there has to be something else. We also know that even till today, since the discovery of the high-temperature superconductor with uh, Bed Norris and Alex Mueller back in the 80s out of IBM, since then, you know, 40-plus years later, we still have no statistical physics model. Hey, did, just sorry to interrupt. Uh, I, I want to say thanks to Robert uh, because he needs to, to go. Sorry to interrupt, man. I, I oh, yeah, like no worries. Robert, yeah, thanks so much, I just Robert. wanted to tell you thanks. And if you want to add some stuff before you leave, uh, feel free. Uh, but uh, folks, definitely give Robert a follow. Uh, Robert, will we see more of like <laughs> more from you? And uh, yeah, feel free to. Yeah, yeah. Th thank, yeah thanks, thanks. 
thanks so much for the invite. Yeah, we we may or may not have some ovens running at the moment with some stuff in, but you'll uh, you'll you're here in due course, hopefully. Let's go. <laughs> All right. Thank you Let's so go. Much. Uh, and, Thanks uh, for joining we'll, us. We'll, Hell yeah. I think Robert, I added you to the to the group chat, so feel free to you know we have Andrew there, we have uh, Iris there. Feel free to like run ideas by there, and then definitely do this open source. This is what we're here for, and I appreciate you for coming. Um, so I, I do want to, I, I do want to, um, and deep I'll. I'll get back to you in a second because Robert did tell me, hey, the stuff that you covered are great. And we did talk with Andrew uh, previously about uh, about several applications. And one of them that I do want to talk about and maybe pop on stage also is the current stage of energy and the current stage of uh, fusion reactors. So one of the current uses of uh, superconductors, as we know them today, right? Is you, uh, the, the, type, the first one, the, the older one, is used in uh, tokamak reactor, which is like one of the biggest ones. And then uh, it looks like helium energy. The guys that some, uh, I think Sam Altman is is backing, and they are supposed to give us something. I, I, I'm sure the helium energy is like scrambling. Like <laughs> they are not not only Robert and folks on stage have kilns running. I'm sure the folks in helium energy also have stuff running. Uh, helium energy essentially moves plasma with magnets. This is kind of how they do this. It's way more than this, right? But like they have a very nice popular video. If you like to understand, like the I think sixth generation of uh, of um, uh, fusion energy, and uh, they essentially move plasma with magnets to then generate energy. What I heard somebody refer to, and I don't remember the, the exact quote, is that at some point, right? At some point, right now, it's um, the, the energy that they need to use to run this reactor way is way way bigger than what they're able to get out of it. Uh, part of the big part of the reason potentially is the magnets that they need to have, like very very strong magnets, so very a lot of current. So they actually need to put a lot of energy in to get energy out, but the process is clear. Like, we know how to do this, they know how to do this, and at some point, like, uh, the, the person who reported on this said, it's boring to even see kind of the flash of energy that happens when, like, the two plasma rings combine and get energy. So, this is current, this is what happens today, and even back then, even eight months ago, Healing Energy said, hey, this is, like, the older format of our reactor. Uh, now we're talking about the potentially, like, way cheaper and way easier and, like, and cheaper because just just to like make it very clear, cheaper because um, the materials that go into LK99 are way cheaper than the previous superconductors, which required like rare earth materials. But also because uh, if again if we're getting to a replication, which I'm getting increasingly convinced, uh, also because the, the the energy to to kind of keep them. Uh, super cool, the, the current uh, type 2 superconductors, the energy that's required to keep them super cool, and I think pressure as well, uh, is also part of the overall number. And so we're looking at a potential of increasing significantly the ability to generate energy with fusion. And somebody explained this to me, and I'm I'd, at some point my like brain broke, you know, the, the exploding head emoji, when they told me that like at some point fusion reactors can get to self-sustaining process self-sustaining so the fusion reactor can generate more energy that's required to run it but also then keep generating this energy and all essentially you'll need is like materials and maintenance etc and that's insane and so this broke it for me i was like fuck okay so so we're dealing with climate change and potentially now 
we're looking at a potential solution for a lot of energy generation. Well, uh, and somebody I was like, to, up have to stress that you know energy has has caused you know our the way we've obtained energy has been much of how we've caused climate change. But uh, um, if if we had like zero emissions tomorrow, there's so much carbon dioxide in the atmosphere that would continue to drive continued heating uh, um, for for a long, long time. Uh, I won't get into the details, but some of the IPCC uh, uh, predictions on, on how fast that comes out of the atmosphere uh, might be questionable. I'll just leave it at that. But either way, I, we've um... got uh, the mess that we've made for centuries still in the atmosphere. And we... Wait, Eli, Eli, hold on, hold on. Um, so, so I, I appreciate your comment. This was not the point I was trying to make, and so I don't want to derail and go to like a climate change account. There could be potential new applications there. I'm just talking about the current stuff that we have, the current, like, literal current technology that we have that's using superconductors right now, that if this materializes, like, potentially fairly quick because, you know, quick quick to produce, quick to test. I don't know about application, I don't know about like, replicas, etc. But the current technology right now for generating energy that exists, it's not feasible energy-wise, and this potentially will be. I also want to say hi to Joseph. Uh, Joseph is uh, joining us via VPN. Joseph, I hope you're still here. Uh, thanks for thanks for holding, man. Uh, Joseph was. I'm still here. I'm enjoying yeah. this so much. Oh, thank you. Um, Joseph has been on stage before, and uh, uh, why don't you introduce yourself uh, briefly, and then talk to us about a different application that we couldn't even think of that you started, and then yeah, please please take us take us forward. Hi everyone, my name is Joe Douglas. Uh, I'm an industrial designer. I focus mostly on innovation and consumer end products. I've been a CEO of machine learning companies, but I've also been a CTO and engineering resident uh, at manufacturing companies producing large scale electronic art installations and motors. I currently work in electromagnetic micromobility design, specifically next gen electric unicycles. Very weird, but my introduction to this space comes from my previous work in small-scale magnetic levitation and control systems. And around 2015, 2016, we were designing subsurface omnidirectional magnetic robots that could control things above the surface via an omnidirectional magnetic attractor that would drag, essentially, an object from A to B. This has applications in manufacturing, but it also has applications in more consumer spaces like factory layout, um, warehouse layout, home layout for the mobility impaired, et cetera. But what I wanna talk about today is actually commercializing LK99 or a derivative of LK99, LK99 assuming it's a viable ambient pressure, room temperature superconductor. So when I think about this, the way that I think about it is that it has less to do with whether or not it's a real thing and more to do with is it a manufacturable thing that can be produced in a high enough yield with a yield rate of a viable yield rate that is high enough to justify the manufacturing expenditure, such as retooling, such as... Okay, so yield in the context of manufacturing, not the context of the core physics, like the fundamental physics. I'm not talking about that. Other people are smarter than me, like Andrew, have spoken to their approach to yield from a production standpoint of producing the material. I mean, manufacturable yield. Um, once you have an actual material, say you have the 
uh, copper dope lead habitate and it, it works. Then you have to design a, a research and development procedure that determines can this be integrated into our existing system, like our electronic system, our motor system, our generator, whatever. Then you have to go through design exploration and validation. And then you have to go to manufacturing, manufacturing production design, meaning you design the method of, of, of modifying the material into a form that fits the needs of your application. And then you have to go into subcomponent manufacturing, installation, maintenance, and repair. So that loop, that has to happen for every potential commercial application of this technology if the technology is viable in the first place. And that takes a long time from design to design validation to design freeze to manufacturing to commercialization. And depending on the results that we get from the fundamental research as to whether or not this is something that actually is producible using um, standard uh, like thermal, thermal deposition methods, like or thermal, thermal physical vapor deposition methods, that determines whether or not this can be produced in coils. That determines whether or not this can be used for superconducting coating, coatings. And that determines whether or not that this, whether or not this can be used as gates in between other electronic components. And if it is something that can be produced with thermal physical, physical vapor deposition, then it can be integrated into another process to apply that thermal physical vapor deposition onto another component. And all of that process has to get worked out at the R&D stage at multiple points. So there's the R&D stage at the fundamental level of whether or not this is producible in the first place. And then there's the R&D phase within the commercial entity that determines, is this producible and applicable to the system that we already have up? Or do we have to retool and re-engineer our manufacturing plant? Or do we have to re-engineer re the core product that this is being affixed onto. So in the context of like, uh, say you're using this in aerospace and defense, you'd be applying like a superconducting coating uh, on top of uh, like on top of other sensors or inside of a sensor stack. And the results that you get from the lab determine whether or not that's viable in the first place. And then you have to determine how that fits into your existing manufacturing supply chain, your manufacturing process and the supply chain. Now, so uh, Joe, I want to say one thing. You're saying uh, you have to, you have to, and like this is a matter of speaking in English, right? Like when you talk to the person, like you have to as an example. However, I want to highlight this one very important point, and then let you continue. Is that once we have a type of material like this, right? It, 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 let's say all of the stuff that you said are applicable, that is like reproducible as as, as much, etc. Uh, capitalism turns on recession is, is fixed like everybody every like so much money is going to get poured into this there's not going to be like one you doing all the things right this like this scales up significantly there's so much that's restricted by just pure energy that just the energy transfer alone the cheaper is going to make so many things better but you're thinking about like other more advanced stuff right so not only the energy production potentially is going to be cheaper or transfer of energy is going to get like less lossy there's more new stuff that happening. So, so um, what's possible that wasn't possible before, Joe? That's, that's what I wanted you on stage for. Okay, what's possible that wasn't possible before are superconductive coatings for turbine generators that can reduce 
energy loss dramatically that can increase efficiencies by 15, 20%. And the reason that I brought up all of the things that you have to do is because when it comes to implementation, you're in a battle between efficiency and cost of implementation to acquire said efficiency. So if that efficiency is marginal, one or 2%, then a manufacturing plant manager or a procurement officer at the US Navy may decide that this may not be worth it. But if it's in the area of 10 to 15%, then they can justify the cost of implementation. And the cost of implementation is usually one to two years of the benefits of that new newfound efficiency. So it's not just about new efficiencies that are created, it's about how do those new efficiencies compare to the cost of acquiring those new efficiencies. And it's also okay. about, uh, as opposed to efficiency, it's about new capabilities. So new capabilities are very hard to price. Um, and there are things that people advocate for, and that's where all that new R&D money and all of the exploratory development money really goes. It's towards acquiring those new capabilities. So if you could acquire new capabilities that, uh, that improve the range of a radar sensor by 50%, that's it's worth it to make that investment cost. If you can reduce, yeah, sure. uh, if you can have, if you can have a thin film superconducting component for a consumer device, like that would go into your battery and increase the longevity of your battery by 20% and make the concept of thermal runaway completely impossible because yeah, you're not, there's no loss, there's no additional heat. So your lithium ion battery doesn't have any thermal runaway uh, components that are intrinsic to the battery outside of ma major damage that increases the safety of an electric vehicle. And, you know, all of those things are, safety are and range, they, they seem right? like safety and range. So, so like safety and range are also huge. the cost because lithium iron, uh, lithium iron is like way, way more expensive than copper and lead. I don't, I want to get to, uh, thanks man. I, I want to get to, uh, uh, deep, deep you have a hand up and before, before you get, uh, to the stage, I want to say this like one thing. In addition to what we're seeing for the past, what, five days? Was it five days or seven days? Uh, the guys told us they worked on this for 20 years, like LK99, more than 20 years. But in addition to what we're seeing for the last five days, for the past year, I, as a person, got like superpowers in AI, right? So, so just literal superpowers in preparing all of this to you and understanding some of the science that's involved in, in like translating Korea and like all of these things I was able to do throughout all of this and kind of talk to people at their level just because I have like two friends in AI. Um, so I don't want to turn this into AI space. That's tomorrow. You guys are welcome to join that. However, um, we're now meeting a potential exponential curve. I, I don't even know if this is exponential. That adds to existing exponential curves that we have in AI and, and hardware. And that hardware is technically uh, also improved by power consumption and, and and significantly so i think uh, somebody talked about logic uh, logic gates uh, I, I don't remember who that, who that was uh, they talked about logic gates uh, just to give you guys an example the, the the field that deep is going to talk in a second about that runs on like gpus uh, how, how revolutionary this could get um, Jensen from NVIDIA, the guy that, you know, is now running a trillion dollar company. Uh, oh, yeah, um, Atapai uh, wants to say goodbye and then I'll continue. I have a long speech ahead, but Atapai, uh, you want to... Okay, I, I mean, I'll, I'll just say uh, th thanks for having me. Uh, it's been very exciting. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, let, let's, see, let's see if I can squeeze out another, another, another report for tomorrow. <laughs>
Cheers. I will say, I will say this for folks in the audience. Uh, Atapai, um, I followed you like since the start here, and you floated the idea of like maybe writing a book, right? A book that I, I think this is, but in potentially, right? Like we're seeing more and more cases there. It's so big that the origin of this is going to be murky. Many people are going to do their own take. Uh, I loved your takes, uh, folks. Follow Atapai and Atapai. Do this, man. This is, this is going to be very interesting. Thank you. Um, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Awesome, Alex. Um, um, yeah, you know, the computing side, I think, is going to change. Superconducting will change computing drastically, right? So, like, for example, take today's best quantum computers like Rigetti, IBM, Google Sycamore chip. These are all based on superconducting uh, architectures. And one of the biggest problems with these superconducting architectures is the fact that you need to supercool them to millikelvins, right? Thousands of a degree of Fahrenheit. Uh, above absolute zero and so if we can drive down the energy costs of like just you know implementing these superconductors we'll be able to maintain coherence for longer and easier sort of uh, states and uh, that will improve generally just the scalability of these architectures and what we're going to end up seeing uh, is a singularity loop <laughs> so you know what do i mean by a singularity loop if you have quantum computers that are at scale functioning Let's say tens of thousands. Deep, you remember I, I did not specifically want to turn this into AI because me and you can go all night, man. <laughs> Once we get to AGI, that, that's the end of it. But I do yeah. want to talk about so then, specifically. But yeah, speed, sure. generally, we're talking about like insane 100x, another exponential curve that joins the existing ones that we currently have. And sure. I specifically yeah. wanted to talk to you about the stuff that you're working on because you're doing what material modeling. Exactly. We do materials modeling and generative And you're restricted materials. by GPU power, and GPU power is restricted by literal energy from the wall. Right. Ex so, exactly. <laughs> you got we'll it. talk to us about this. Now, the other interesting so, application, though, that I don't think I've heard too many people talk about with superconductors uh, is with LK99 is the sensor side. So there's a whole class of quantum sensors that are called, in this case, superconducting quantum interference or interferometer devices. These are magnetometers that detect magnetic fields to up anywhere from 1 million to 1 billion times greater sensitivity than magnetometers that you can purchase off the shelf. So, you know, what would that mean, right, for humanity? One Tell is me that the scale again, please. Yeah, it's and anywhere from 1 million to 1 billion times more powerful, these superconducting... Than an MRI, let's say. Um, yeah, the that, MRI well, that we use currently. I mean, MRI all, already uses superconducting materials, but this class of these are sensors, though, right? So, um, oh, you're talking about like sensors outside of. Oh, right, well, go ahead. Exactly, Sorry, like a handheld magnetometer, let's say, right? Like you know how some people will go weekend hunting for treasure, right, with a magnetometer on the beach or whatever, look for, <laughs> right? So that's the kind of stuff that I'm talking about. Will get completely revolutionized. That will change our ability to look for ferromagnetic minerals for mining exploration. It will significantly drop down the cost of mineral discovery. Yeah, Mining explorations that. on Earth is like one thing, and and but also there's like material out there, and I don't know if Andrew's still here, and if you want to talk, but um, you guys are you're working on space stuff. How does this um, specific area that Deep mentioned? How does this the a thousand X, let's say? Uh, ability to mine an asteroid and the additional energy to come back from it. How does this affect the space industry?
Yeah, no, it, it would be absolutely revolutionary to be able to utilize resources in situ in orbit so we don't have to drag them up out of the gravity well. You know, we, we expend 99.5% of the fuel just to get the mass into to orbit and impart that velocity. So it is, it, it, it would be absolutely game changing. Um, but my, <laughs> I don't spend a whole lot of time dreaming that far into the future. Unfortunately, I'm, uh, I'm pretty pragmatic and uh, dealing with the problems of the day. So my, <laughs> my imagination is limited as to how far it could really uh, take us and what we could do with, you know, that level of capability. Uh, one, one point on that is, you know, space is kind of cold and, and, uh, the, the superconductors that, uh, have already been established, uh, can probably be really useful. It's just a matter of dissipating any heat that builds up as you're using them, uh, which is kind of the, the case for a lot of things in space, like the Apollo astronauts, um, you know, they, part, part of the challenge to keep them alive was actually keeping them cool, uh, when, when, uh, the moon is, it can get pretty warm. So sustainable space exploration, is that what you're saying? Is that what you're hinting at? Uh, yeah. I mean, so sustainability of like a colony, let's say somewhere, uh, gets potentially unlocked. It, it, it... I, I I wouldn't say unlocked in, in that, you know, we, we can we can still have I'm just talking with you. I, um, uh, sorry, dude. I literally am uh, just dreaming right now. And I I think at, at some point excitement is okay. But I think also too much excitement maybe is unwarranted at this point. And I interrupted with something that I dreamed of after you just said two words because like it's really hard for me to contain the excitement. And uh, I also noticed that uh, Scandi Naval is here, and he claims that oh, sorry, on his uh, profile says PhD in, in uh, uh, physics. And oh, uh, Andrew dropped. Oh, I want to say thanks to Andrew, folks. We've talked about Andrew before. Andrew, good luck tomorrow, and uh, the next batches will also good luck with them. Uh, we're all going to see the Twitch that you're going to post and hopefully the Excel sheet that you talked about folks will sign up and maybe we'll have folks here that will like send them your, your way. Um, have a good night, Andrew. Thanks for coming. And uh, Scandinavian, you raise your hand up and your profile seems interesting. What do you think about all this? Yeah, mic check. Perfect. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, hi. I, I, I'm a Finn. I did my PhD actually in the early... Uh, early 2000s uh, here in Finland on, on superconductors, uh, mainly for sensor applications, looking at uh, mainly low TC. So we were working at 100 millikelvins up to 10 kelvins. Um, so low temperatures. But, you know, during that time, I kind of uh, learned the ropes on, on the superconducting theory, BCS theory and all that. And I, you know, obviously <clears throat> working with superconductors, Cooling these things down to 100 millikelvins was always a pain in the ass. Uh, so, so I've always been interested in high temperature stuff. We were also working on junctions. So these were the uh, superconducting insulator, normal metal junctions for um, basically quantum uh, cooling. Um, and I, uh, I actually happen to know also the founders of IQM, which is a Finnish um, uh, quantum com computing company. Um, but yeah, this, this stuff with Elke in 99 has really uh, captured my imagination. Um, even though I have to say that, you know, I've read, having read the original papers uh, from archive and 
and some of the more recent ones from from China. Uh, some of the experimental techniques are, how would I say, rudimentary. Uh, the, the measurement accuracies are pretty miserable, uh, and you could actually get much higher dynamic range in your RT measurements, your I, uh, your uh, current voltage characteristics if you just do it properly. Um, so, so the the data is a little bit fuzzy, I would say. Uh, the most recent paper from uh, from China where they show this anomalous transition uh, between 220 and 300 kelvins is clearly a measurement artifact. Uh, you can only see one data point on the transition. Uh, that's not real. Superconductors, they do have a width in the transition, which is basically governed by laws of physics, and that width tends to get larger as you go up in temperature. Uh, it's all to do with uh, you know thermal fluctuations. So seeing a transition with no data point or one data point, that's just a, that's a glitch. That's not real. So I wouldn't get too excited about that. Uh, that said, you know, uh, uh, so I was kind of ready to throw my, uh, you know, throw my hope um, during the weekend. But then these uh, DFT simulations came out and this flat band evidence, you know, looks promising. Um, it is well, I mean, it, it doesn't necessarily mean high temperature superconductivity, but it could possibly do. So if the theory side starts to sort of supporting these things, and, you know, the 110 kelvins for, for TC is pretty respectable. It's pretty high. It's up there uh, with... Uh, it's a new material. It's a new high TC material. So that by itself basically justifies uh, substantial added research on the topic. Uh, yeah. I think we need to... Uh, and I completely agree with you, Scanny Neville. I, I would just, like... You know, temper yours and everyone else's expectations. I know you're already super reasonable about this. I, I don't see enough efficient evidence. And Robert was saying something very similar earlier that we haven't seen yet from the theory side if copper doped lead appetite is even thermodynamically stable and favorable. So, like, let's first find, you know, thermodynamically favorable configurations of the copper at 10%. Uh, doping, and then, you know, go from there. I think that's a big part of uh, all of this. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree that, you know, we, we are not, I don't think it's well understood where the, where does the copper actually end up in, because, you know, the thermodynamics seems to suggest that the place we think it should be, it's not necessarily going to get there. Uh, with respect to the applications, I mean, quantum computing yeah maybe you know but uh, <clears throat> i'm not a quantum uh, a qubit ex expert per se but what i do know is that uh, the decoherence times in qubits uh, are quite strongly correlated with temperature uh, it's just that your lattice is vibrating like crazy at 300 kelvins and and one of the key problems in quantum computing is the coherence time so that's basically the time that the quantum superposition is held within the qubit uh, and that gets shorter and shorter, the more kind of uh, decohering interference you get. Uh, so I wouldn't hold my breath for room temperature quantum computing at this stage. The other thing I should say is that uh, superconductors, strictly speaking, only maintain zero resistivity at DC, so very low frequencies. Um, so all the IT applications, the processor applications, all of those things are pending on, on better understanding of the AC losses of, of the material which has primarily to do with the kind of the way the current gets configured in the superconductor at uh, non-zero frequencies. Uh, I work myself on, on superconducting sensors. Uh, this could potentially be quite interesting, which is that uh, the most sensitive uh, electromagnetic sensors we currently have 
um, or have deployed are so-called transition at microbolometers or calorimeters. Um, so at low temperatures, people have developed sensors that get like super high X-ray resolution for X-ray photons by basically measuring the infinitesimally small temperature rise that the X-ray photon causes when it gets absorbed in a thermally isolated absorber. And the, th the thermometer is basically a superconductor that's maintained within, within the middle of its transition. Uh, you can do the same thing with power, and that's what it's called, bolometers. Uh, bolometers is the most common that you are mostly aware of are uh, thermal infrared cameras. Um, the uncooled ones are actually based on microbolometers, and they use just a high-temperature coefficient material uh, for the transduction. But if you had a superconductor in uh, maintain its middle of its transition, you could well get you know an order of magnitude improvement, or maybe even more um, for thermal cameras. So that's kind of an interesting application. Anyway, that's just my two cents. I just wanted to pitch in, and thanks for the space. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for coming up. Yeah, so uh, specifically, the, the point before here. you go, actually, um, you mentioned uh, cooling. Could you go into that a little bit? Uh, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. So, if you have a uh, superconductor that's connected by a tunnel junction into a normal middle, basically, when you apply a voltage across that sort of junction, uh, you know, if you look at the Fermi distribution or the energy distribution of electrons on the normal middle side, most of the electrons reside on the on the Fermi level, but as you apply a voltage, a DC voltage across the junction, you basically blow. So basically the, the hottest electrons on the non-metal side have a finite possibility of tunneling across the, the junction barrier to the superconductor where they pair as, super, uh, as, as Cooper pairs or whatever uh, 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 you know, bosons they form. Uh, and that heat is then basically pumped away from the normal metal. Uh, and at low temperatures, at the you know in the early late 1990s, early 2000s, we were able to show, you know, we were able to cool the normal metal by a factor of three, uh, basically from 300 millikelvins to 100 millikelvins. You know, it's not a big delta T, but it's a factor of three in temperature. Uh, but it it gets easier at low temperatures because the uh, the thermal coupling of the electrons uh, to the lattice is a very weak. It's, it's a very strong function of temperature. It goes to the T, T to the fourth, basically. So, so, the, so the electron gas in the normal metal gets completely decoupled from the, uh, from the lattice of, of, of the metal. Uh, so it's kind of thermally isolated, the electron gas. So you're basically just cooling the electron gas. But it has some applications in sensors, uh, potentially content computing. It's actually some of these things are applied in some of the qubits uh, to bring down their effective temperature and thus increase the coherence time. Uh, and there's no reason why you... You couldn't do that at higher temperatures, but you would have to engineer the thermal bottlenecks because you can't rely on the electron phonon decoupling at that stage. Hi, uh, mic check real quick. Yes, um, I'm with so, you. Go ahead. So one thing I wanted to ask while we have some experts on here, uh, Ben Schindel, who is um, in this, this group kind of following this, was talking about the fact that uh, in, in the paper that a lot of people have criticized from the, uh, the Southeast University, um, they measured both uh, the resistivity when they were going down in temperature, when they were cooling it, and going up, which would seem to me to answer some of the questions around whether or not it was just like a measurement issue. But obviously, this is, this is not a... Um, not a professional view on this. Just, just wanted to get your all's take on that. Would that lend any more credence? The idea that 
the the drop in that paper that you saw at like uh, I think it was like 260 Kelvin w- would that lend that any more credence the idea that they checked it both down and up or can temperature affect the way that these uh, probes that measure resistance um, like interact with the material I guess yeah in principle that does uh, bring some more credibility to it but I, I my hunch is that it's a it's a uh... It's a measurement artifact. So as you go up in temperature or down, you know, there's a, uh, there's a pre-amplifier in whatever voltage meter they're using. And I'm, I'm thinking that it's probably switching, switching range there. And there's something wrong with the amplifier on a different range. You know, it's, it's auto-ranging as you're dropping in, in R. Uh, and that, those things often generate those sort of artifacts. Unless, and, you know, it could be that the, uh, the instrument is maybe not working properly or something like that. But I, I just find it really suspicious that there are no data points because, because you would, they are going, they're going down pretty slowly. I mean, if you look at the density of data points on the way down, you know, there's lots of data points there. And, and the transition at 110 Kelvins is kind of a reasonably, that's what you would expect to see. Uh, but, you know, this kind of a, you know, completely discontinuous drop down, down by two orders of magnitude, I don't Right, I don't yeah, that's, that, that, that's what I kind of wanted to get at, is that like... Wh- I, I just wanted to know whether or not the fact that they were able to measure it while cooling and then while heating it back up measured the exact same thing, if that's explainable from a temp- well, like from a, a, a sort of an equipment defect or, or a misuse of the equipment, I guess. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, the, the amplifier is going to be all ranging at the same voltage level, uh, whether you're going up or down. Um, so it would reproduce the same glitch whether you're going thank up you, or down. Thank you, thank you. I've been just wondering about that. Appreciate it. Uh, one, 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 by the way, interesting application, I don't think ever anybody has talked about it, and it's, it's not my idea. I read yeah, it somewhere. Us. You know, I'm excited. Yeah, t- t- uh, 20 years ago. Um, so <clears throat> I think we could have aircraft without engines um, because, uh, you know, you could basically introduce hydrodynamic drag on air, uh, think about an aeroplane where the leading edge has some sort of apparatus that ionizes the air. Uh, and then you, you coat the wings of the aircraft with a superconductor like this. So you can run crazy currents, uh, you know, over the surface of the airplane, uh, you know, the, the wing, which would induce hydrodynamic drag on the ionized, you know, air molecules. Uh, just thus basically generating thrust. <laughs> so I, I think that's, uh, that's a pretty cool thing. So, so I, I just want to ask you from my dumb self. Um, the folks are talking about uh, hoverboards from Back to the Future. Also, let's say very low, and they let's say are based on some magnet uh, pinning or whatever. You're talking about moving ion in the air. I, I just want to make it clear: no engines on planes, potentially just current. Yeah, I mean, leading edge, you ionize the air, so you have some some sort of a high. Um, uh, you know, either discharge or high voltage. It doesn't necessarily need to uh, dissipate a lot of energy, but it just ionizes the air sufficiently that when you apply a superconducting current from the leading edge to the trailing edge, uh, that current is going to basically attract uh, by electrostatic forces the molecules um, uh, to to move along with the thrust. Um, And thus, you know, you have an engine. That, that's fascinating, Scandinavian. How would you imagine hypersonic travel where there's going to be natural ionization simply from the speeds that you're flying at melting the air? Absolutely. Then you don't, you don't need to pre-ionize at that stage. And obviously getting nice. fast, going fast is a lot easier if you don't have nasals and nozzles and 
you know, intakes and, you know, all these sort of horrible aerodynamic shapes in your aircraft. <laughs> Love it. Um, I, I also wanted to, uh, you know, go back to the space applications too, since you brought that up. Um, another interesting application, right, beyond just, you know, using uh, superconductors for compact nuclear fusion is you could probably code and love to hear your thoughts on this scan enable is like you could probably code your uh, craft with the superconducting material and then run a current through it and then use that to deflect uh, charged micrometeorites and microparticles in space when you're traveling at sub C, right? Like even the smallest particles can destroy your craft. So imagine being able to deflect at least the, um, uh, you know, charged particles coming at you. Do you think that's possible? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can't do the math in my head, but you know, you probably do need ridiculous, ridiculous large magnetic fields in that case. Uh, but yeah, I mean, why not? And and the other thing is, uh, you know, we are talking about ion engines. Uh, one of the concepts for interstellar craft is that you generate this magnetic uh, funnel. <sighs> Uh, for interstellar molecules or, or atoms um, that you then kind of suck into the, uh, the the ion drive, so that you don't have to. You could get the propellant on the way, so this could be this could be uh, one space application as well. I I don't want to interrupt you guys nerding out on like space application. I just want to highlight uh, Scandinavian uh, Scandinavian. Um, uh, I don't know if you you for uh, doxing yourself or if you're anon, but um, you're you have a PhD in physics, right? And when you say why not? <laughs> Are you basically like saying there's no like physics restriction to this? Like, right? We we just need whatever is in front of us coming. Well, I, 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 I'm just ignoring all of the engineering problems that uh, you know. Even if you know this thing gets proven that it it really there is a new mechanism that has uh, the possibility to I have a you know superconducting material at ambient temperatures and pressures. Uh, that's one thing, but obviously you know, the, uh, we, we shouldn't underestimate the engineering challenges uh, in, first of all, coming up with a manufacturing method that's sort of industrial. Um, and, and then, you know, uh, you know, these appetites are fundamentally really brittle, I guess. The same applies for, you know, Ivco and the, some of the other uh, high DC materials so that we've figured that out. So we'll figure that out, too. Uh, but, you know, it, it's not going to happen over two years i think uh, uh it's, it's a start at... of yeah yeah it's a it's a, it's a start, start of a long road path. yeah <laughs> um long road but forward and accelerating ever more because we also can get ai and agi to help us kind of design this uh, agi is a whole big thing we're not going to touch in the space yep. but ai multiplied by a thousand can help with many of these manufacturing things and robots that now are able to get powered for a longer period of time can go and do them Potentially, right? Yeah, and then there is some, you know, uh, let's say different fields of science, which also, you know, becoming more and more relevant. Um, you know, synthetic biology, <laughs> even though you would sort of not immediately think about synthetic biology as superconductors, but you know, but you know, some microbes, um, you know, they actually output minerals. Uh, so could you, could you? Uh, Genetically engineer a microbe to synthesize copper apatite. I don't know. Well, yeah, just just could be done. I don't just know. Just re remember that uh, our teeth are, are uh, hydroxyapatite and flora apatite, so there are proteins that template that. Exactly. This is something that uh, Iris brought up too, is that um, 
you know, there would be some like microbiology applications if this were to actually, you know, be a superconductor where uh, there are certain like strains of, of bacteria, I think, that, that are basically uh, that are conductive that you could like introduce into the synthesis. Now, this is obviously a very layman's explanation of this, but but she seemed very, uh, uh, very excited about that prospect, I guess. Yeah. Anyway, guys, uh, this is great. Uh, thanks for the space. I need to I need to bugger off on a meeting. So I'll, I'll thank you so much for coming, Skinny Neville. Uh, very appreciate nice you. Yeah, thanks. Good to meet you. Yeah. If we host thanks. these more, you're more than welcome to come and go for your meeting. Hopefully, it's going to be a little more boring than this. Um, folks, I think I think at this point, uh, unless some folks on stage uh, want to go for maybe a little bit more, I think at this point I we can close this. We started way way early. It's been a while. Um, I'm getting winded. <laughs> this is the third space. Eli, is this the third or the fourth space that we had in the span of less than a week? Uh, we started in Thursday, right? Thursday, I you came over? Yeah, I, I, I think the third. I missed one of them live, but I didn't listen to it. So we're doing this quite a lot, um, and the information flow is insane, but also like the ability to... Um, stand in front of this potential sea change or ocean change and general like like so many things are happening at once this multiplied by ai that it's like also hard to then go fall asleep uh, but i do wish all of you good night i think um a very good night if tomorrow we get some more positive news and the more positive news that we get then the yeah. better the night gets and the better the prospects of and all I of us are i want to say really Sam, quickly wanna... that like i appreciate that you all I... I had some. I appreciate that you all were were very uh, cool, especially you, Alex and Ada Pi, towards um, like Iris in particular, specifically with regards to like uh, you know her her gender. Uh, I, I think there there was a lot of like negativity around that, and I think that it was heartening to me to see that you all were uh, sort of fighting against that. And and I like to see that the tech community. Uh, I'm not I'm not involved in the way that you all are. I'm I'm just a coder. But but just there, there's a lot of sort of bigotry i guess and i think you all were, were very it, it really just made me happy to see that you all kind of came to to her defense in a way i guess that's my last comment thank you thanks sam thanks for coming up thanks for saying this um folks iris is the shit like like hopefully i will become closer friends with iris because um when she came out with like 20 followers whatever the fuck and suddenly started spewing like the most insane uh, physics even, and she's a chemist, or she does like other stuff. Potentially, uh, folks are starting attacking like for nothing, from no you know logic basis, from no experimental or science basis. Folks just came straight out of person. I'm like, why the fuck do you care if this moves us forward towards whatever the you know the, the uh, humanity needs to go? Why do you care? Bring evidence. And so I, I started getting like a little annoyed. And Eli, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you also like follow some of Iris' works. Like the work is impeccable, even though it looks like an irrational part. Yeah, no, to totally. And and uh, I, I mean, in the best, best, and and uh, you know, given that she's do working with hazmat in her kitchen, worst traditions of Soviet science. Yeah, it's it's awesome, and I I do think that the fact that she had like so I will say so, uh, sorry, is like just, uh... a, a a point in her favor. This clearly for her was not like. Uh, oh, I'll just get a bunch of followers by replicating this, you know. Like she, she I think this is clearly like a oh, passion no. she, project, she, she, you know. 
I, I didn't know that such like a, a feedback even exists out there, but I'm not going to be surprised. I will say this. I'm hoping that Iris at some point will join us in one of these spaces. Uh, either Iris or, uh, um, yeah, hopefully. The communication style, it's hard to pass a little <laughs> bit sometimes, but also sometimes the English is impeccable. I, I just will say this, folks, um, just to add to the potential genius level like understanding of all of this right because like she synthesized first in the kitchen without like the proper materials etc and we're gonna see probably some stuff coming out soon i think she's moving towards some organization lab like a big lab not a home lab but the english level is way above mine like like leagues above mine and this is a person that lives in like inside moscow I lived in Ukraine. I then lived in Israel for 20 years and like spoke English professionally. And now I'm, I'm living in the States. I have two American kids. And and her English from inside Russia is like leagues above my like epithets and like the way she speaks. In addition to the geniusness of the chemistry and all of this, right? How the... There's no... Like it's hard in Russia. I don't know how many of you are bilingual, trilingual. It's hard. So I, I think we're dealing with like a unique person here. I will go to the floor. And Sam, thank you for noticing this. Uh, this is a... A very important moment where people without like big lab credentials, even though she is connected, could just like start talking online, and this is like will teach many many other folks that this is cool. I, I'm really uh, happy that uh, she's joining this. I think on this step, uh, if real you quick, don't mind, real quick, or right, go ahead. You know, I I think the fact that you know her con her competence is just so way above the the people who are attacking her they're threatened by it and they're like trying to assert themselves through bullying and uh you know she's just coming out totally on top yeah and like calling out the fact so that, like, people were calling this, her this point the last point and i think that like her response to that was really cool sam I, yeah yeah go ahead. if you don't mind uh, sam sam sorry dude. I, I i really want to finish and uh, I, I don't interrupt but I, I will say like this one thing the fact that Wikipedia is considering whether or not like a person like this should be included or not in the table of like who replicates, even though she already replicated, is fucking ridiculous. Like the fact that like this is there, and uh, you know people need to go to like a blog instead of like a well reputed whatever the fuck source and do not see the person who replicated this first in fucking home. Uh, the fact like it just means that people have like a gut reaction to some of the stuff surrounding her i think what we're doing is giving like this person like a blue check whatever even though she doesn't want to pay which is like the followers and the people who are like um adding to the science and talking with her there's a dude daniel something from israel a physicist also that i uh, uh added to our group and they had like an incredible conversation and you know she replies immediately with like insane stuff uh percolation stuff eli saw as well so yeah, uh, we're big, <laughs> big Iris fan. Hopefully, we'll get her on one of these spaces. Um, but other than that, I think, folks, I will tell you good night. Like it's, it's been more than three hours, three and twelve. I think uh, I really want to go see what else is out there has been posted while we were talking. Uh, Sangya has been texting me. <laughs> there's, there's a bunch of stuff. Maybe somebody else moved us forward. Uh, I also wish you like go and explore some more of the folks on the list that we've posted um, and. Uh, yeah, I have a whole space tomorrow about something else, about AI. I see some folks in Yad in Zenova and Janeiro Tapax. Uh, we should see each other very soon, probably 10 a.m. tomorrow. And um, with that, good night. Oh, one last thing, one last thing, one last thing, important. There's so much info here. Just insane, like physicists, we had uh, 
Let me do a quick recap. Uh, Eli, do you want to help me do a quick recap before we go? No more like new topics. Like really super condensed, sure. Um, so we had Robert uh, Palgrave, who who like many folks recommended him to join, and he was great. Um, we had a new Finnish friend, which Eli, I would love to hear from more. He's great. Um, we had multiple folks on stage talking about the summary of events that happened in what less than a week uh we had andrew up here i think he is still in but andrew was up here at, in the middle of a replication attempt on, on us and like talking to scientists um yeah i think there was a lot we, we all talk on stage also to like, bring more knowledge eli without you i wouldn't like thank you man Thanks. Keep coming. Uh, I need uh, folks who understand me, understand the scientists in in, in between us as well. Uh, and um, with that, I think I wish you all good night. Thanks, Eli. Yeah, th- thank thanks you, Alex, for pulling time. this together, and thanks everyone for, for participating. I, I don't know what's going on, man, but I'm, I'm having fun, so we're going to continue. And, and, and uh, remember, everybody. I'm, I'm not for this. Remember, everybody. The the title of the room, Kinjaja. So so we've got the subtitles on YouTube, oh. and and uh, this is what uh, inspired Iris, or it was involved in Iris uh, making her replication yeah. re- efforts. So. So watch it. So we're not closing. Hold up, hold up. Keep keep talking, Eli. I'm going to go and actually bring this tweet. And uh, I will attribute this to you because you reminded me. And the whole purpose. So, so yeah. So, almost didn't complete. So, so I, Iris yeah, was uh, was uh, going to watch this with uh, with her partner, I guess. Um, and uh, uh, instead was, was uh, you know, her partner bet her that whether she could uh, uh, come up with a better method. Uh, but the interesting thing is that Kinjaja is about, uh, you know, this this hypothetical future uh, where actually phosphorus uh, is very scarce <laughs> and there's like one match left. And uh, the future of this alternative universe depends on getting the phosphorus from from this matchstick that's left on Earth. <laughs> I, I probably butchered it, but the in. No, no, you did a great job. It doesn't say superconductor, but it does talk about like a crazy space alien fucking technology that humans suddenly find, and that's powered by uh, matchsticks, and matchsticks have red phosphorus in them, and this is what triggered her, I think, with the red phosphorus thing. I don't know if like uh, I'm remembering all the all the exact parts correctly. However, just the fact that the person like instead of doing this thing, oh, I'll just you know. <laughs> re-implement this more than like faster than national labs is incredible to me so we're gonna watch this movie together i'm gonna quote tweet the space uh i'm gonna call this the space here and oh the one thing i want to say eli and please take this uh while i write the tweet so i don't uh stutter the movie was released in 86 1986 the Type 2 Superconductor was also released in 1986. And I think I was born in 1986, not to mention this. And I think uh, Iris mentioned this like in other contexts with um, Sun that they're researching Professor Choi, uh, the guy who kind of inspired Lee and Kim, and the, the folks who, like, they worked for him for since 99. Uh, and he also, I think, either went to a conference or referenced a book from 86. 86 starts to become, like, this lore thing. And I wish Ada Pai was here to talk about this. But Eli, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but we're watching, um, in honor of Iris Alexandra, we're watching this movie tonight. That's, that's the tweet. Sounds great. Yeah, looking forward to it. And uh, so thanks, everyone.
All right, folks, I'm pinning this right now. If you'll be, give me this one last thing is I would love for you to boost the signal in honor of Iris. All right, let's go. I hope this movie is like um, copyrighted. <laughs> I'm going to pin this to the space. Um, I'm watching this movie because if this is what inspired the person who replicated this first, uh, I think it's worth watching. Uh, with that, really with that, I will bid you good night and we'll see you soon. Bye.